record. What is up? We're back. Ron, Eddie, Bill, Paul, beer, whiskey, water, and black <laughs> coffee. <laughs> Bill, are you drinking water or did you put something adult in there? It's <laughs> it's all water for me right now, man. Okay. I okay. but uh nice. I it's I got nothing against the old beverage here and there. It's yes, just of course wh- whenever we're done here, I'm gonna go train with some people who are trying to choke me against my will. So I gotta be sober for that. And then uh nah, that's yeah. overrated. It's, uh, <laughs> it's uh it's messing, it's messing with my mind that Phil's window has like sunlight flaring through it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Right? I know, right? It's weird. Even here, dude, it, it's pretty remarkable how quickly i feel like when i was a kid i remember the seasons changing very gradually and then yeah. now now it feels like a week goes by and it's like oh that was fall huh now all right fine like <laughs> guess it's winter yeah. now and it's dark by six you know yeah it's cold Such a, so weird dude yeah if, oh hell it ain't cold in florida <laughs> <You guys, laughs> unbelievable hey. this fucking guy uh, hey, for, the three, for, for the three of us it's cold all yeah. right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you cold. see that? That thing behind me? That's a hoodie. I don't ever fucking pull those out unless it's cold. And for cold, that's what's sub sixty. Oh man, you're sub sixty. Wow. <laughs> On what's it? What's the? What's it like right there? Uh, right now down there. What's the template? It was eighty six today. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. a little warmer today. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's you guys. It's horrible, Phil. It's it's, horrible. it's yeah. Sounds real rough. Yeah. It, hey, for people who keep animals outdoors in Florida, it's a pain in the ass. I, below seventies. That's you know what yeah. I I forget about. Sometimes I forget about the animal aspect of it. I'm just sort of speaking experientially as a person. I'm like, dude, it's there's been days here when it's like negative eight, and it's like the I gotta I had to get up and teach early, like six a.m. some jujitsu class or something like that, and it's just like, man it's it's a god all i don't know why people live in like minnesota or like at you know north North dakota yeah man because at least we've got long summers here but jesus christ you know i'm getting older and the winters suck more yes this is the reason honestly part of the reason we moved to florida was the last the last couple years that Mm -hmm. we were in new york was brutal and it was like you know what we need to make a change and you know the collection business kind of dictated i needed to be down here so it was nice to you know nice to come down here i mean it has its moments where you're like god damn you walk outside and you're instantaneously soaked in sweat but (laughs) you know i mean you you get over it you know nothing like nothing like walking outside and bicycles forming in your hair Uh, that'll happen too yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah so how's everybody uh faring these days how are all the animals doing as everybody's winding down? Good. I, I've uh, transitioned most of my stuff, indoor, outdoor system, all mm. the stuff that is, uh, all the stuff that can tolerate cool temps and warm temps. I, I did nothing different. So my Australian water dragons, they're, they're still basking at like 6 AM. The, they, don't, they don't give it. They don't care. Uh, That's awesome. My Chinese box turtles, they completely just disappeared on me. So they went through cremation very early. I have not seen them in probably two weeks now, which is really weird for them. Okay. Weird. But they're there. They're there. Uh, all my stuff is pretty damn cold. I mean, the euros, 
I mean, they still come out maybe about like, at, but not until like noon or one, you know, when it's really toasty under that basking light and they'll come, they'll come out and putz around, maybe eat a teeny bit, but they're not really doing a whole lot. Whereas the, uh, I got a, a few things kind of on an opposite schedule, not, not on purpose. Um, my Xenagama Taylor, I've started breeding again. So I got a female who's getting ready to lay eggs any day now. And a couple other gravid females that only just recently made it and, and so, for some reason, the defensor and the Alfred Schmidt eye are mating. They've been mating every day, more like sometimes twice a day for three days, three or four days straight. And I'm like, uh, you guys just got here. What are you doing? Like, I don't know. I, I I, I've seen, I've seen those guys more through your pictures than I've ever seen them in person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, nice. yeah oh, I never man. saw them. I never saw them when they were here. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. It's gotta be this. It's just gotta be the dimmer light, right? They're not outside. Right. So it's darker. They're probably less spooked. I mean, that male Alfred Schmidt, he'll hand feed from me. He's cool as a kid. It doesn't let me touch him, but he'll come over and take food from my hand. He's a weird, he's cool as hell. They're the, I'm, I'm floored by those things. So I don't yeah, know. They who, are. That's awesome. Yeah. It's fun stuff. Yeah. It's very cool. I, um, so I, I had a moment of levity uh, about a week ago. Um, so I'll tell you guys about it because it was it was innocently harmless. It was all in my head. So I guess I come in the room. I do my normal, you know, my normal morning. Uh, I have two lights in here that I have turned on manually because I'm just too lazy to use the to hook up the timer, which is sitting on the shelf behind me. So I just come in and flip the switch. You know what? You know what it is? Is This way I have to come in here every day. If I put everything on a timer, there may be days that I don't even walk in here and I shouldn't do that. So it just, this way I have to come in. So I come in, I'll talk to the tortoises like I do every day. Cause as soon as I come in, the two red foots come out. Um, <laughs> so I come in and I turn the lights on and I look and I put a piece of cork bark in with the male and the female green mambas, but the male green mambas cork bark is flat. So I threw some spag underneath it, made it a little damp and put that on there. And I thought, well, if he wants the, the humidity, he'll go underneath there. If he doesn't, he'll stay out. Never seen him go underneath there. He's in the cage for a week and a half. Never explored, you know, either in the plant, on the tree branch or sitting on the bottom. So I come in here, I see the female chilling in her cork tube and I look over and I don't see the male. I'm like, oh, he must be up at the top. I look up at the top. He's not up at the top. I'm like, huh. <laughs> So now I take one step back and now I'm kind of looking around the room real slow. I'm like, okay, interesting. I grab a snake hook, like, where's he at? I start looking around now in my mind. Now my mind is racing. He's underneath something. He's hanging above my head. I'm, this is not good. Like, this is horrible. <laughs> it's like a scene so, from Alien. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know what? I get to, and listen, the cage is locked. It's completely secure. There is zero chance of something getting out of it. Zero. So I get the key. I unlock it. I pop the door open. I grab the, I have four foot, um, just regular tongs. And um, I grab the tongs, which everybody I don't use ever. Um, the only thing I'll use it for is feeding. I would never grab a snake with them because that's just dumb. So I grab the piece of cork bark and I, and just as I start to lift the head pops out and I'm like, Oh, there you are, buddy. He just right. went underneath there and made himself a nice little spot. And that's where he was chilling. So I was like, all right, now I can stop being such a sissy and go drink a beer at nine o'clock in the morning. 
<laughs> on my nerves. That would yeah. have scared, yeah, so. scared the shit out of me, man. That, that's I, like, you know what? In the back of my mind, I knew he was in there. There's no way for it to get out. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's one thing that I can say is I've gone through and every single one of these cages is secure. The cages, Ron, that I'm talking about, I used the two that you gave me and put, I put new screen tops on, but where, you know, where the clips are, the, like yeah. the thing you pop it out inside of those clips, I 3d printed these little wedges and I stuck them in there. So now there's no way you could even mistakenly pop that lid by accident. You have to take the little wedges out to even open the lid. Yeah. So I just figured that that was just one more layer of, you know, this way nothing can get in or out and every cage has a lock on it. So, nice. you know, even, even my Southern pine has a lock, you know, it's just a pine snake, but it's in a rack that's locked and it is what it is. But, you know, you have those moments of, oh shit. And that was one of them. So, dude. Um, so not exactly related, but like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm one of those um, exotics keepers who uh, is just has like not a shred of interest in arachnids and like okay. no, no nothing against them. Like you oh, fucking hate spiders, bro. bro it, it's yeah, you're that's exactly what I'm talking about. So no. I got nothing against them. Cool ass animals, like very interesting reference for drawings and stuff like that. But, you know in terms of touching them, getting moving around with them, just never going to happen. Um, and, uh, when I, years ago, when I was like 19 or whatever, I was working at a local reptile shop and there was this dude who worked at the shop who had, he was, his thing was arachnids. His like, his whole deal was like, I'm the arachnid dude and I'm going to just breed nothing but arachnids. And I know I'm going to free handle all of them. He's just a kind of a weird dude. And this, we got a shipment in one time and it had a little, um, a little Indian ornamental that was like, yay big, yep. you know, like mm. so pretty substantial little spider. And he, I, I don't know what he was thinking, but he decided to pop open the little container that the, the little deli cup that this tarantula was in. And he was like, check it out. And the thing just bolts, just bam, hops off of his, off of his, the deli cup in his hand and it right down and it goes into underneath the table where we were working on stuff. There's a, a, was a big tub with a sulcata tortoise in it. And the the sulcata tortoise had Timothy Hay as bedding. And so he, the thick spider just whoosh right into the Timothy Hay and disappears, disappears. Well, damn, we tried to get, we like went looking around for it. We, we carefully shoveled out every little bit of hay into the trash and we're trying to find it. And I'm terrified, man. And so then later on that, uh, later on that same, that same week, I'm thinking, I'm still thinking about it. I'm like, where's this, fucking, <laughs> where's this fucking spider? And there was a thing we had to do every night that in order to shut off one of the series of overhead lights, we had to like open this door up that had like, just, it didn't open up all the way because our cage rack was right next to it, but you could get in close enough and flip a switch up or down. And I go and I open up that door and I go to reach my finger in to go flip the light up and a big dark shape just like shoots down onto the light, like right to the little, little light handle thing. And I'm like, ah! like freaking out. And I, it, it, it was, it, we had a resident toke gecko that like lived in the store who like came in and punked me and just freaked me out like terribly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the, 
the spider net was never seen again, but my God, that Toke gecko just got one. Got me, dude. Aren't those actually, things pretty, aren't those things pretty venomous? The, the ornamental. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I don't know. I just, terrifying. I, I actually have a spider story and it's a good one. Back in Let's like 93, 94, um, I got offered um, to buy a bunch of shit from a Colombian importer. And on the, on the thing was, I had in order to get the reptiles that I wanted, he was making me buy these new, new giant fucking bird eaters that he, oh. that he had. Oh. So oh. I had to take a what amounted to an enormous crate full of these things. So, <laughs> oh, hell no. But this was at the time when spiders, people were really, really just starting to really get into the breeding of them and everything. The prices were super high and people would buy everything you could get. So I figured no big deal. I'll take them and then I'll flip them pretty fast, make a nice chunk of money off of it. And I'll get the reptiles out of the shipment that I wanted. This fucking thing. So he <laughs> fucking, so he sends it. I go to get it. The crate is so big that it fills the bed of my pickup truck, which I had a mini pickup at the time, but it was still a big ass crate. So I put it in there. I get it over to my house. I put it in the kitchen and I pop the fucking lid off of it. And inside are these, the, they were massive. I mean, I don't remember exactly what species it was. I want to say they called them purple bloom bird eaters, but I could be wrong. Um, but they were like fucking dinner plates and they were crammed into these very large, very cheap plastic, like potato salad containers. Right. I mean, there's a huge spider. And when I popped the top Jesus. off, some of them were trying to bite me through the fucking plastic. Oh my right? God, dude. So nope. I, I, I had them sold, but I had to ship them and I couldn't ship them for a week because they came during the winter and it was cold. So I couldn't ship, so I had to set them up. So me and the my wife at the time, we were like, all right, let's go to, to Walmart and buy a whole bunch of shoe boxes because we couldn't keep them in these shitty little containers. And we'll put one in each shoe box, you know, on some sphagnum and feed them and keep them alive until it's time to ship them. So we go out, we go to get the shoe box. On the way going out, one of my buddies shows up. I'm like, hey, man, hop in the car. We're going to go to Target or wherever. So we go do it. We come back. When we get to the house, I open the door, but there's something distracting me. So my buddy Caesar went in first and he goes, that is the fucking scariest rubber spider I've ever seen. Where did you get that? <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, yeah, that big rubber spider that's on the floor. Oh, my God. And I, and I, and I looked in and there was one sitting on the kitchen floor. This <sighs> fucking giant. Right. So I'm like, holy shit. So we, we get it. And then I start looking in the containers and I realize that a bunch of them have broken out of the containers. Oh. So I sealed the fucking box back up, put it out in my shed. I went, I went, ran over to Publix and bought like five or six bug bombs. <laughs> I fucking bug bombed the inside of my house. We spent two nights in a, in a, I, there was no fucking way I was going to sleep in that house. No way, we spent dude. two nights sleeping in a hotel. Ooh, fuck. So we go back, we never find any bodies, but there were three missing spiders. Oh. Now my old house though, that I lived in at the time had like lots of places where shit could get down in the walls. It was a really old house and it had mm -hmm. like busted areas. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that they got down in the walls. 
they most likely died. They probably died in there from the bug bombs. Because I mean, when mm. I say I bug bombed it, I fucking bug bombed the shit out of it. <laughs> I mean, it was basically nuclear. But for weeks, <laughs> for weeks, I'd, tr- I'd sleep at night. And if something touched me, if a fucking, if the, you know, like the, the <laughs> blanket or something touched me in the right, I'd wake up freaking out that there was a giant one on me. Uh, <laughs> we, never, we never did that again. Uh, it sounds like yeah, one, of my, one of my worst nightmares, man. Yeah, I have a, I have a giant collection of Black Widows and probably really? brown recluses in my garage. And that's oh. all because of, that all came from Ron's garage originally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so every now and then Ron likes to just give me things that he doesn't want anymore. Yeah. And, and there's, they always come with stowaways. Oh and man. I, I, I remember he just gave me, he gave me like months ago, he gave me this large colony of, of discoids and uh, I, I'm sorting through them and I'm just crushing all these black widows, like fat, juicy black widows with eggs oh. and everything. I, um, I'm oh, thinking man. I got rid of them all. Uh, but, but again, everything that Ron gives me, no offense, Ron, but everything he ever gives me, somehow, <laughs> like on like an edge of it, there's like a black widow. Oh, my oh, God. Oh. And mind you, I kill those things constantly and I cannot put a dent. I, I mean, they're, <laughs> no. they're everywhere that I have lizards or 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 bugs that has any kind of a lip they're they're up yeah, in there. like, fucking egg yeah, cases so, everywhere does yep. nothing oh. does does none of the stuff eat eat the widows will no reptiles oh, yeah. eat them the, the bearded dragons will eat them i oh, mean they I've will. Seen all, okay. I've, oh yeah ackies will eat them but you just you toss know, them in there i'm not so I'm not uh, i mean i wouldn't I, either right yeah <laughs> So I have the fattest, largest group of house geckos living in my garage. These things are obese, and they, they scare the they scare the crap out of me because I don't see them. I turn on the light and they're just there. They're 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 huge. They're gigantic. That's and awesome. They're they're living like kings and queens in my garage because of the loose crickets. Hey man, that's cool. I think that kind of thing is cool as hell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and oh. like I I shared, I shared with you guys the the pictus gecko that I found. Oh yeah, that, that thing was the hell. So let's rewind. So like three months ago, uh, Ron told a story of how fast these things can can grow and reproduce. So yeah. maybe no less than three months ago, I lost uh, a giant group of baby hatchling pictus geckos that I transferred from the egg box to a grow out bin. Mm. Well, they were it was a new it was a new rack. So they climbed out <gasps> into the into the tiny um, gapping oh, yes. of, of, of the rack systems. Yep. Right. And, you know, it was just a giant group of them. I didn't mind to count them at all. So I opened the tub and they were all gone. <laughs> like all of them were gone. Oh, man. So, so in my garage, it's the garage. And then there's like a little bathroom in there. So when I opened the door to go in, it's the bathroom first. I saw a little bunch of baby pictus geckos just running around and I'm like, Oh shit. So I, <laughs> I, for the first week I collected what I could. And I, you know, at the end I got like 10. So I'm like, okay, this, this has to be it. Right. Didn't yeah. think anything of it. Well then fast, you know, fast forward to last week. Um, I'm feeding animals and I have like a racking system with these bearded dragons and I fed the bearded dragons and the bearded and the crickets that I feed the bearded dragons. They hide behind, they hide under the paper towel. So they hide under the paper towel yeah. and it's on a, like a regular Lowe's wire um, rack mm-hmm. with, and the, there, there's tubs. So what happened was 
all the gecko, all the house geckos, what they do is they go underneath the rack and they just look up at the, the <laughs> shelf because they see the crickets. Mm-hmm. So, you know, house geckos are very reactive. So as soon as you turn on a light or move, they, they scatter. Yeah. Well, they all scattered and I see this fat brown gecko just standing there and I'm like, what <laughs> the hell? And I'm looking at it and I'm just looking at it and I'm like, oh shit, that's a pictus gecko. And it was that's... huge. <laughs> and I'm like, so in my head, I'm not thinking about the ones that got loose a couple months ago. I'm thinking, oh, maybe one of my breeders got out and I'm looking at it and I don't recognize it at all. Like it has a perfect tail. Everything about this thing is perfect. Mm. It's immaculate shape. So I'm like, oh shit. So as soon as I went to go get a deli cup to try to catch it, it gone. So, wow. so I basically, what I did the other day was I tricked it. So um, I got like a reptibreeze with, you know, some of the reptibreeze have the bottom part that has the little latch that can mm-hmm. go underneath. So I, yeah. I put a, um, a giant uh, deli cup, one of the biggest deli cups you can buy, put some mealworms in there. And uh, when I woke up the next morning at like 6am, it was inside the cup, just gorging <gasps> itself. And immediately, I, immediately I ran because it's quick. So as soon as it sees me, it tries to run. So as soon as I got there, I, I shut the bottom latch up and I kind of caught it. So and Dude, it's cool. They're that it's, fast. It's, yeah. They, they can be fast as when they want to. So, yeah. Oh. Um, but uh, it's a, it's a female too. So it was like this, it's a female that I didn't have to grow up and raise myself. Right. <laughs> it, it probably lived under my refrigerator that's in the garage. Um, <laughs> it, it was getting all the, the water. It got everything it needed because there was loose crickets everywhere it's yeah. probably in the dam all of Ron's juicy black widows. Um, yeah. It's going to get less so, health, less healthy now. You know, you know what? what? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that too. I hate that so, feeling. <laughs> so here's, so here's the best part of this conversation is we can lead off into this fantastic topic of cohabitation by just saying, Eddie is literally going to dump all of his animals in his garage and just throw crickets <laughs> in there. now. He's not even going to keep them in cages anymore. Everybody You're just going to cohab everything together right yeah. f- free range uh cage free free. <laughs> there you go free range yeah free range pick this gecko's bearded dragons everything and anything just running around eating so all of I, I have it I, I have it in its in a tub system now and it's it's pissed like you could just tell it's stressed <laughs> out yeah. it, uh, it, it, it hates it hates the world yeah. i have like little dishes with mealworms in it and and it's like what the fuck is this like it won't even touch them. <laughs> like it is just that's funny. <laughs> you know the funny. next time you come over you should take home one of those little lizard traps that i keep around here because that'll catch every one of them yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna who knows there might be more you, you never know yeah <laughs> just keep it out there keep some crickets and it'll load up yeah yeah i pretty much caught the only thing ron i, I catch uh a knolls and 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 one of those and but they're always too big for what i need you know, I, I need oh, like little ones are getting out. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's worked well because I've, I've gotten enough now that like I have the, the Insularis are doing fantastic. I just got a, uh, a really small baby pygmy that's like the length of my pinky, but nowhere near yeah. as fast. Yeah, it's tiny. Like I need to catch like little tiny like lizards and they're the fastest. So the other day I get out of work and there's one running around. I must have chased that thing for 10 minutes. If anybody in my neighborhood was watching me, I am somewhere online on film. <laughs> Guy in a polo and, and khakis and dress shoes chasing around this little fucking anole from one side of the garage to the other as it's running back and forth, probably laughing its ass off. Look at this fat ass. He can't fucking catch me. So, yeah. 
That was uh, amazing. I mean, Another I, thing you could do, um, I mean, those cages work great. Another thing you could do is just literally just get a Sterilite tub, put it outside, put a few crickets in there, yep. and guaranteed, guaranteed in the next day or so, you're going to have uh, anoles just yep. uh-huh. trapped at the bottom. Okay. <laughs> That's literally <laughs> an never everyday thought thing to try to that. Yeah. I, I never even thought to try that. Buckets. Yep. yep. That's funny. Hmm. That's I'm going to try funny. that. Yeah, I got Like I said, this this uh, the Insularis still won't go over to pinks, but you throw an anole in there and, and it's tripled in size. I mean, it's huge. So I, whatever, they're around here. I can grab one here and there. It's not the end of the world. So, you know, man. I mean, I I I I got one. I got one less entered, less funny, but still like one of those stories of when stuff gets out. So when I kept stuff in the, in the basement at my family's house, I had a bunch of front sliding glass style open cages for the collared lizards. Mm-hmm. And um, I had these Crotophytus calaris melanomaculatus, which are a pretty rare subspecies from Mexico. And they, they think they're like an integrade between um retics and another spe- reticulate collards and another species or it's like there's a there's type hypothesized anyway they don't right mm-hmm. no, they nobody knows for sure right but they're these yeah. weird they're these really really beautiful they have like a steel gray base with like these random blues and greens but anyway they're really cool but um anyway so i i had three of them a male and two females and um i I went through my room one day and I was cleaning and sweeping and I was like sweeping up stuff, putting, ah! <laughs> that's a cute little dog. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just dumping stuff in the trash, throwing turds in the trash. It's just a little silver trash can about, you know, 12 inches tall that I use. It's still, I still have it. And, um, I went to the collared cages and I get to the, the Melanomaculatus and they're the last ones. And I noticed that there was a, um, like that much of a gap on the glass. Like I had not shut the glass all the way. And I, which is, again, this is why I don't have venomous, but like, um, <laughs> cause I'm not, I'm not equipped. So anyway, I'm like, Oh no. So I go looking through and there, and the there's one male and one female. And so I know there's one female gone and the female that was gone was gravid. And, and so I was like, Oh great. You know? So I go around my room with a fine tooth comb, both rooms, the basement, the whole thing, flashlight under all the cages. I've got nooses ready because the Baja collards I used to keep would dart out of the cages, you know, every once in a while. So you'd have to noose them. It's the only way you'd get them back in the cages. So I'm looking around and I can't, I can't find her anywhere. And I, and I, and I finally, I spent like an hour and a half looking and then I finally give up because like, I just can't find her. And I'm like, she'll show herself or she'll die. Like, fuck, this is terrible. And so then I go back to my cleaning duties and I look in the trash can and she's in the trash can <laughs> and just sitting there, just sitting there looking at me. Like she had just, I've been dumping poop on her the whole day, just dumping turds <laughs> into the cage. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. So yep. big dummy. Uh, like I said, when, when you posted that picture, I've, I've never had a positive outcome on one of those. Uh, I had a, a I bought, a hundred ball pythons years ago. And uh, one day Anna goes, Hey, there's something dead back there. And I'm like, yeah, mm. you, you smelling things. So I went back, you know, we, we had friends over that night and, and uh, they, they're, we're all sitting in the dining room and I go in the back room and I'm like, fuck now I smell it. I'm like, God damn it. I've gone through every single box. I know that everything in the rack is, is good. And I'm like, man, where is that coming from? 
So I grab my buddy and I'm like, Hey, come here. You want to check the snake out? So we go out there. Cause of course I don't want my wife to go out because she's going to be like, ah, I told you so. So I'm looking around and I'm like, all right, it doesn't smell over here real bad, but over here where the dryer is, it's bad. So we pull the dryer down and I pull the little panel off the back where the motor is. And there's the snake stuck in where the belt goes uh, around. And I'm like, nice. Ugh. so yeah. about that, right at that moment, when I have the, ah, shit, I turn around, look, and there's my wife standing there looking at me. <laughs> I told you so. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> dryer laid down. Like, Got yeah, him. that sucks. Yep, yep. <laughs> but we've also had, like, I keep, like, a, it's a black. You buy them at Lowe's or Home Depot. It's like a wedge when you're putting in counter t- or uh, uh, cabinets. So you shove these plastic wedges underneath. So mm-hmm. they work really good in sliding glass cages. When you close it, you can wedge that in there, yeah. and then nothing can move the oh, glass. Oh, nice, yeah. Yeah. So we have this big Doomerals boa and I forgot to put that in there in our other house here in Kissimmee. And uh, so I come walking out in the garage and I look and I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, like, why does that cage look like it's, it looked like it's open from the other side of the room. And I'm like, ah, there's no way. So I go about doing what I'm doing. <laughs> I walk around the back side of these, these uh, tough tote cages are, were all on shelves. And I walk around the backside, just as I walk around the corner, I see something right in my face. I'm like, ah, I scream real loud. <laughs> there she was just That's hanging awesome. out. I'm like, oh, the cage was open. You know, again, <laughs> not that it could get out of the garage, but here's this, you know, six foot, very heavy bodied, yeah. you know, boa just kind of cruising around like, and that's all she did. I forgot to, I fed her and forgot to put the thing back in yeah. and uh, she just knows the glass enough to pop it open. And there she went. Yeah. yeah. That's, so, pick just, that Pictus gecko is the, one of the coolest things, man. I love hearing yeah. about that. That's so rad. Yeah, that is cool. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, she, right. Like I said, my, my garage did all the hard work for me. She's a full-grown yeah. adult female. And, and with what I'm doing with them, I'm looking for, you know, it's in, in the same way, it's like the leopard geckos where it's hard to find like pure virgin yeah. females that aren't retaining sperm from like something else. Sure. Um, so she's already on the, the path of breeding with a specific, you know, yeah. uh, morph, uh, mutation male. So nice. it's awesome. Cause nice. usually with yeah, these geckos, cool. once they, they'll breed one time and for almost like a, over a year, they'll just produce eggs. Yeah. So you really, really? gotta give them, yeah, you gotta give them a lot of time in between for them to finally just finish laying eggs. So that way they have a clean slate. So that way you can start your breeding project because there's no guarantee that what you're trying to do is going to get messed up by, you know, retained sperm or whatever. Mm-hmm. Plus, so, it's, plus it's, unless it's carrying house gecko sperm. <laughs> Just saying. If that's the case, I'll, uh, I'll uh, produce it and sell it to bar check for big money or something. Little abomin, little abominations. Yeah. Yeah, That's That's awesome. Oh man. House gecko pictus gecko hybrid. That'd be. And there's your cohabitation. So yeah, Yeah, Yeah. there there you go. And, uh, and since Phil is a serial cohabber, I mean, I mean, uh, I'm the serial cohabber. Yeah. 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 Phil is the, uh, anti cohabber yeah. <laughs> he should probably be the one to go first oh yeah, no phil. man i feel like i just oh, lost yeah. a, i feel like i just lost a coin toss that's a yeah no i'm down that's because i'm gonna i i i think i'm being set up is really what i'm trying to get at but um yeah sure i'll 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 kind of just outline a little bit i mean 
I, I'll start by saying that like, of course, it, I don't mean across the board. I don't mean for every single thing ever. And um, I mean, I, I have stuff that I house together all the time. I mean, I just, it's like the iguanas, the spot, the, all the cacrics, they're all housed together. Um, like I, I, all of my knolls are now they're housed together. The, the, um, my Amy, my, my, uh, my Taylor, I, all the Xenogama that, well, actually I'm going to take that back on the Xenogama. Um, mo- I have, I have a bunch of stuff. The point is I have a bunch of stuff that's housed together. And so it's not like I'm, I'm trying to draw like a hard line in the sand. Um, but at least with certain stuff, specifically the euros, um, and then I'd say 50% of the time with the Xenogama, it's, it's just the easier option because, um, you know, you have all the pros that come, that come with it that are real straightforward, right? You, um, there's disease containment, uh, potential in, in solo housing. Um, you completely eliminate the problem of inter cage or inter, you know, just cage mate aggression, um, except during breeding introductions, um, you, have a real strict control over what breeds when. Um, I've, I've found that it helps to impl- em- employ new ideas. Like if I'm trying out a new style of hide box or a new, a new, a new way of setting up the cage or a new whatever, um, having everything housed solo helps me kind of narrow down my, my, view, my viewing window. Like I'm not dealing with as many variables. Whereas when I house stuff together, there's a whole, it's just a totally different factor. And some of what I'm doing is, is heavily biased because Euromastics are so freaking territorial. And like, I get, I get stressed out if I see like two baby Euros in the same cage and you see them kind of like posture and do their little hula at each other. That will, I'll, my blood pressure will shoot through the roof because I'm like, Oh no, I'm going to have to split this one. And that's going to create a power vacuum. And then all the other 20 babies in the same cage are going to murder each other unless I split them up. So some of it's saying <laughs> like a little bit of just anxiety, but it's, it, you know, and I also understand, the, I don't know. Okay. Maybe I'll just start there. And <laughs> cause I, there's a lot to say, a lot to say. No, I mean, I, I agree. I agree with you. I mean, I, I, yeah. I won't keep anything that has to be kept solo for the most part, only because yeah. Yeah. it just, uh, I'm just not that dedicated. Right. So, so I will miss stuff. Like I, like mm. right now I'm in full hibernation mode and all the animals mm. are too. So I just, mm. I, you know, I'm not staying on top of it. You, you are very on top of it kind of guy. So um for you it it is better i mean honestly mm. if you can there are there's plenty of things that i've worked with over the years that i've thought uh, if i just kept everything separate shit would be easier mm. but then i've mm-hmm. got twice as many enclosures twice right. as many things to monitor twice right. as many th- okay is this going to be ready to go and you know and i a lot of stuff um i don't know i mean even the blue tongues I mean, most people don't cohab those and I've done really mm. well cohabbing them. Mm-hmm. So Heather and I designed this system for them. Um, she wanted to get into the blue tongue. So mm. uh, we got them all, they're all in pairs, but they're in large, you know, outdoor enclosures. They've got mo- lots of places to hide and all that shit. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know if I was keeping them indoors, they'd definitely be separate. I think, I don't think I could pull mm. this off inside. 
I, 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 you know, and again, I think a theme for me is going to be that this is biased. I have a bias because of the Euromastics, you know, like I I have buddies um, across the pond and uh, like a a handful of other friends here in the States who um, insist on, you know, multi, multi multi-housing Euros and some of it, I, I mean, I get the, the, you, you make it, you know, I think all the time about, I would love to house more than one of these damn things in a cage because I could have so many more animals in the same amount of space. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it, from an economic perspective, there's a very strong argument to be made for, um, um, you know, cohabitation. Right. Um, and so I don't, I, I get why, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's very fun to do. I mean, I think you, you see, you probably see more variety in the interactions that you get to observe through from your reptiles. If you keep them together, you'll learn, you're going to learn a lot more about their body language language and like what constitutes a legitimate threat as opposed to, right. This is, this is just, I'm pissed at you in this exact moment. You know what I mean? And, and, um, with the Euromastics, part of why I even started going that direction in the first place is because I had a couple of males of various species. One was an Ornata and one was a Thomasai that literally killed females that they were living with in a span of 20 minutes. Like I saw them, it, I was cleaning an enclosure and I had a Thomasai, my, I still have him, Boris, my oldest male Thomasai. He's, he was in with a green female and I had just got that. I had just bought that damn animal, you know, a month or two before. And I had put her in with Boris because I was like, it's spring. They should probably be able to breed still. Like I'm going to go for it. I put him in the cage. He runs over to try to mate with her and she flips over and does the whole now thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to let this go for a few minutes. And I went walking around to clean the rest of the cages. And that was my mistake because I came back and he fucking killed her. He just ripped, just gripped her by the head and ripped her around all over the cage, you know, and clearly in a way that was incredibly violent. And, And it was like, you know, that's, that's, that's money, that's an animal and that's unnecessary suffering. Right. So it was one of those things that was like, damn, that hit hard. Um, I, you know, I noticed that. And then as soon as I started keeping insisting on keeping things solo, I noticed that at least with the Euromastics in particular, everything else became easier. Um, they were quicker to settle in if they were wild caught because they instantaneously figured out, which hides are mine, where I feel comfortable. Yeah. He's not going to fuck with me in this hide. And there's nothing else in here that's going to fuck with me if I'm in that hide, right? Yeah. Um, uh, the their appetites went up. Their general behavior normalized in a routine. Whereas when I would throw them together, even if there was no overt, really clear chasing and beating each other up, one animal would be out all day long and the other would be hiding 90% of the time. Or- um, you know, one animal would be in one hide and you'd see the other one come over into that hide and just pound, you'd hear some whipping around inside the hide and the other animal just shoot out, you know, go find somewhere else to hide. You'd see animals develop scars on their side that you didn't even know were there. You didn't have any idea anything was happening. Um, I mean, all kinds of stuff. And, you know, eventually, you know, and I think it was a good learning experience because in one, in one way it, it taught me a lot because I split everything solo, but there were years where I was like, I must, in order to breed these things, I have to keep them together. So I would have 
years of just trying over and over to put animals into, in, into same cages and see what would happen. What if I rearrange it this way? What if I change the temperatures? What if I do this? What if I do that? And, you know, sure, I would get variations in how long they would tolerate one another, one another's presence. And that's great. But inevitably, animals would, um, would show themselves as this one is clearly not getting the better end of this deal. It's never 50-50 between the two, if, if we're talking about two in one cage. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and maybe I, I understand that there's totally rational reasons to think that animals would socialize in the wild. And some of them obviously group, you know, lots of uh, lots of reptiles live in groups in the wild for various reasons. And that's awesome. But, you know, at least for euros, it doesn't seem like it's it's optimal. They, they really don't like one another in each other's space. And just even in a huge enclosure with everything they would conceivably need, just the fact that one can't completely flee from the other seems to piss them off. It's just, ooh, it just stresses me out just thinking about it, honestly. My blood pressure goes through the roof. Yeah, so, that's, pro- that's probably a, a case of that, you know, genus of lizards is just very yeah. solitary. Mm-hmm. No matter where they're found, they're just super solitary. And that's, again, I'm, I'm pretty... Um, see, I don't really see that with the sp- stuff that I do work with because, I mean, even in things that you can keep together, mm-hmm. reptiles are really no different than any other animal or person for that fact. Some, some, liz- some specific animals are Jeffrey Dahmer and some of them are fucking, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. you know, uh, just, you know, a normal person or normal thing. You know what I mean? They're not super aggressive. They're not, you know fucking serial killers murdering each other totally but some some of them are i i've i've had some in the past and no matter what you put them with they fucking kill it and those get the cut they go mm-hmm. they get sold off as pets or whatever mm-hmm. um so but i also tend to work with species that tend to um be in pairs in the wild like the anoles i collected night anoles for years for the majority of my life actually growing up in Miami, I did the commercial mm-hmm. season every year where I caught five to 10,000 of them and put, and put them into the, into the pet trade in the nineties. And I knew that when I got out of the car and I caught one, I saw one on a tree that if I looked around for a couple minutes, I would find the mate. And invariably, if you caught a male, you'd find a female. If you caught a female, you'd find a male. And they were always right there in the same tree. That's cool. So they, they, the, at least in the case of the crown giant anoles, they do that. The blue tongues, I mean, they seem to do okay. Ackies are known to exist in pairs in the wild. Mm-hmm. They, everybody that, that I know that's hunt, that's, you know, will go out and hurt for them. They say, if you find one, there's always another one right there. Mm. So, I mean, so those are all the kind of things that I keep. The lace monitors seem to do really well in pairs. I've had no issues. Mm-hmm. Um, none of that, but, you know, I've heard I, I, there are certain species of chameleons. You cannot keep them together. They'll fucking kill mm. each other. Mm. And euros yeah. are probably the same thing. So I think, like you were saying, the cohab thing really kind of has to go with there's it's just not a one size fits all. Yeah. You know, it yeah. has to it's the species can play a role. So can the individual animals involved play a role, mm-hmm. you know? How you set up your system. Yeah, exactly. And and your system are, if you're comfortable managing, you know, individual animals and you are, um, 
you know, sensitive enough to pick up when the, the females need to go at males and stuff mm-hmm. like that. See, I'm not, mm-hmm. I freely admit I fucking suck at that. I just don't pay enough attention. So my, what works for me has always been set them up in pairs, leave them alone, mm-hmm. make sure that make sure they're doing well and everybody's getting fed and everything. But if I can't keep it in pairs, I just don't bother. Cause that's my system and how I work the system. Mm-hmm. But somebody else could take it and do better or worse doing it differently, you know, depending on sure. a number of factors. So, um, uh, yeah, not to, I, I don't want to, I'm sure, I don't know if like Eddie's trying to chime in cause I, I know I always talk over people all the time. So just tell me to shut the hell up. If you need to get it. <laughs> no, I'm in, I'm in, like I said, I'm in, I'm in the same boat as, as Ron, pretty much every animal I keep. Actually, I don't think there's an animal that I don't keep that is not in a pair situation or in a group situation they're all together like all of them so with my anoles they're all in pairs with my with my neonates i'll have them in groups um Mm -hmm. with without any issue um until they start to mature so like as far as cohabitation with some of the younger stuff i'll cohabitate as um interspecies so uh, right now i have a cage of uh basic night anoles with uh juvenile riker eye uh, mm. everything is great obviously once they start to mature just a little bit more then i'm going to separate but mm-hmm. all, my, all my tortoises they're all all together my rankins my rankins dragons they're in a mm-hmm. giant group for the most part everything that i work with they kind of ignore each other until there's breeding in the air other than that mm. even though they're in the same enclosure they tend to ignore each other mm. so uh, my rankins they're in a giant group my uh, my Leomactus, which is like the, the cone heads, they're in a group, uh, males and females all together, no issues at all. Mm-hmm. Um, when they breed, then the males come in. They're like, oh wow, there's a female. I ignored her for a whole year. Then you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. that's the situations I'm in. I but again, if I ever had animals like your mastics, I would never attempt to put them in pairs. I, I would I would totally, you know, basically, and I know yeah. nothing of, of Euros ever. I, mm. I've never kept them. I've never had one. But if I ever did, I am not even going to chance it. I'm taking your advice and they would be separate. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, well, I- but again, everything that I keep, they're all together sure. year round without sure. an issue. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it, um, so I, I mean, again, just the euros specifically anyway, um, there, there are, again, there's lots of people who totally go the opposite of what I'm saying and are doing fine. But, but the guys who I know who require their animals to stay together all year, I, I, I like one here in the States and one over in the Netherlands, I get regular messages from them that tell me like, Oh, I had to split my Philby eye for the last three weeks because one animal's been just being an asshole over and over. Or, you know, my, my ornates got more mature and now the male, or, I mean, actually it's a lot of female ornates can be real assholes, but the females start chasing around the males in the cage. And then it's like, you got a male who's afraid of the female. He's never going to breed her. Right. And so they're, regularly running this kind of active interference you know they may not sweat a little bit of side biting and chasing while it lasts but that you know as soon as it becomes consistent and becomes frustrating and you can see one animal is suffering they'll just split them up for five days totally rearrange the cage maybe even wash down all the cage materials which is which is also like a totally viable approach I, i don't think there's anything wrong with that it's it's just you know 
when we're talking about animals that like regularly have trouble breeding in the first place, or at least in, at least in the sense that like consistent, successful, high success rate with Euromastics tends, tends to be less common. And, 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 and I think that keeping everything apart with Euromastics is like one of the reasons I've done anything that's resembled any kind of consistency is the fact that along with the other factors of changing the food, changing the temps, changing the daylight hours, changing all of that stuff, they literally don't even see each other until it's time to breed either. So it's like, oh, you know, like this, it just sets off this long cascade of stuff. Whereas I think what happens with a lot of other people is they have two animals, you know, let's say they got a pair of Moroccans and they keep them together. They raise them together. They breed once, maybe even they breed twice. And then by year three, they've got inconsistencies either the, you know, I can't tell you how many times people have told me about, oh, my females dropping duds in February. Like the, they just, or they just, my male Egyptian mated with my female two weeks ago. And today she's dropping infertile eggs. And it's like, well, yeah, because they're totally, those two animals are totally off. And if, if there's a really emphasized hierarchical difference between those two, where the male is out and about whenever he wants to be, because he's comfortable in the space and the female is rarely, if ever out they may not even be on the same like hormonal cycle, even though they're in the same cage, you know? Um, and I think that there's big problems that come with that. And, and again, with your, again, <laughs> with euros specifically, there's specific um, suppression methods and things that animals will do to one another that they're very, very easy to miss you know, really easy to miss. Even for people who have kept euros for a long time, there's really subtle body language things. And um, like, for me, it's a lot of noise because I, the, because of the tubs and the pools I keep them in. When you do put them together, there's a very distinct sound of animals looking around and just exploring and, oh, help, I need to get out of this. Help, 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 yeah. help, help, help. You know, it's like a very specific sound. And so it's like, I, and I guess part of why I tend to, do the same thing with other lizards and especially with the xenogama taylor eye because everyone says anybody else who's bred xenogama taylor i would tell you they're totally fine in pairs it's no biggie they're great they can live in colonies and i'm going the other direction i'm see, i'm finding more and more that they're better alone and some of that just has to do with the fact that i don't know what to look for yet you know what i mean i i haven't kept them for long enough to know oh when they're doing that i got to pull them apart and I, I already had one Xenogama female who got her arm totally destroyed by a male who didn't, just because she didn't let him breed. And I didn't even see it happen because they're relatively cryptic and skittish. And I went in to clean the cage and I pick up a hide and the female's under the hide and her one arm is like dead and hanging back. And she's fine now. She, she lost the arm. She's a little tripod and she walks around and eats and does her thing. But you know, that didn't have to happen and I didn't know what to look for. And so it just makes me nervous when I don't, when I don't feel intimately familiar with the animal's body language, um, or I'm not confident enough that they're going to be okay if I leave them alone, you know? Yeah. So, so you guys are on the, the four-legged side of things and, and, um, we've had a little bit of experience with co keeping snakes together. And, and obviously it's, it's a little bit different. Um, snakes seem to find a spot, hang out together. 
but you run into the feeding aspect of, you know, okay, I, I kept two boas together. Um, they were six months old, eight months old, whatever they were. And we kept them in a big cage. It was all two foot deep and four foot long. And we just ox and branches and they seemed to really dig it. They stayed up and basked all the time. And when we fed them, we would separate them, pull them off of their basking spot, put them on either side, give them each a, a small rat and let them do their thing. And then slowly over time, it started to be one of them would take the rat. And then as soon as we walked away, it seemed she would spit that rat out and go right after the other one. Mm -hmm. And one time I come in and she had a hold of the other rat and was coiled all up around. I'm like, what that? And she dropped hers. Now mm -hmm. I get that if she would have finished it first and been like, Oh, I'm still hungry. I want your food too. Mm -hmm. But where I did my internship, um, and there, there's a lot cohabbed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, both Rops bilineata, which was, um, both Reacus bilineata was reclassified recently. Um, there's a pair of those that have been kept together forever. Now for a year and a half, I never saw the male in that cage. Never. Mm. The cage is heavily planted, cork tubes. The female was always up top in the, either in the back or in the front. When she was in the front, she wanted to eat. The male, I was told, would only come out every seven or eight months when he was hungry. That snake has had babies consistently since 2017, I think. Um, the first year, it only had one baby. The second year, I think, was 16. Then the third year was, it had eight babies. And then six months later had seven or eight more. Mm. But those snakes have always been cohabbed and they breed on a, a very consistent basis. You never see the male. Um, the, the other ones are all the mambas, the Western greens, the Jamesons, uh, the Eastern greens and two sets of black mambas always kept together, uh, mm. always fed together. Obviously with venomous, it adds another layer of, Oh Complexity. shit. When, yeah. When you're dealing with a snake where you got to watch both of them, but I just, I, I see the difference in venomous and non-venomous is there's a huge span. So I have Eastern green mambas. I have a pair of gaboons and I have a pair of uh, European long nose vipers. Those animals will all be cohab together. Mm -hmm. um, the, um, the only reason I'm not doing it now is because they're still small. I want them to grow. Uh, next season, my amadites, I'm going to get the small fridge and they need to go down for, for hibernation in like the 40s, like mm -hmm. the mid, mid to low 40s for three to four months, maybe five months. I will start pairing them together then and just leave them together all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, next year, I think next year there'll be, I think, two and a half, give or take. Mm -hmm. So we'll hibernate them together and see what happens. But all these animals that, you know, Phil, you're saying, you know, that you're really good at seeing the cues. I suck at it too. I try breeding boas. I can't figure it out. I don't know when to put the male with the female. Uh, we've done it with ball pythons where it's just, okay, we know that this male's cruising. Um, you put it in, the female refuses food. You put it in, they breed, you know, mm -hmm. they ovulate. It's it's like clockwork. Yeah. But some of these animals, you just, you really have to have an eye, you know, like I asked Ron before about the the blue tongues and keeping them together. Like everybody keeps them separate and then they introduce them, but there's a very short window of opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel, Ron, I feel the same way you do. I, I don't think, I think I would miss it. Mm. Yeah. I think most people do miss it. I mm -hmm. mean, yeah. 
you got to be really on top of your game. Look, I used to produce a shit ton of boas mm-hmm. and they, I kept them together year round in pairs. And all the only time I ever split them was to feed them because obviously, yeah, you know, feeding snakes, uh, you end up usually with one's head head down the mouth of the other one. Yeah. But, but, um, yeah, I just didn't, I mean, literally my, all the blood boas and motley boas and all that shit, they were produced in a little room in Miami. And in the winter time, I opened the fucking windows, mm-hmm. you know, cause Miami is still warm in the winter, no matter what, mm-hmm. let that room get whatever temperature it got, um, kept them in pairs. And every year they produced mm-hmm. every yeah. year it was, they were almost, they were the most reliable, um, so, I mean, you know, but then there are guys that keep them all separate and they, mm-hmm. they check for ovulations and they watch for all this stuff. And that's cool too. And that works. And if that's your game, that's your game. But mm-hmm. yeah, if you could do that, you're, you're fantastic. I mean, I, I just, I don't yeah. see it either. I miss it. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, I, and I admit it, I don't necessarily want it this way. You know, I, I, I would, I would very much prefer to be able to manage pairs in the way that I see other people manage pairs of other species, but it's like, with the euros, um, if I'm being honest about the way I feel about, um, how I want to care for those one for those lizards in particular, then it's like, it's so, I mean, it, and it's just gotta be through experience, but I feel so keyed into when they're not happy. It's just like it, and it makes me unhappy. Like I get legitimately bumped, like, like angry. I'm like, something's wrong. And I get like irritable, Mm. you know, and, but that's not the case with my other stuff because I just don't know it as well, you know, but I, you know, I will say too, that like, and again, this is not at all to um, necessarily, it's not intended to clash with what you guys just got done saying, but something that I do see in the Euro community anyway, is people will say, well, I keep mine together and they breed just fine. And it's like, okay, I also know a lot of people who live shit lives in trailer parks with like terrible food and terrible everything. And they still make tons of kids way more than some of the smart people. I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's just, it's like, wow. and it's, I mean, I'm just saying, I, I'm not making, I'm not trying to place a value judgment. It's just meant, it's just meant to be a poetic metaphor. You know, it's just to be like, <laughs> I just I'm want just, everybody that lives offended. in a trailer park to know that he is speaking for himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all Phil. Half of Florida. I, I mean, I'm just trying to like, you know what I mean? <laughs> just that, was, to like, that, that was awesome. Was, well, you know, it's just like, we've all seen things work under shit conditions. Right. I mean, sure. yeah. and, and so I, I only mean that in the sense that I'm, I, I don't want the, the breeding. I mean, it is my main focus. Like I've also used the opposite end of this argument, which is I do this all the time and my animals breed. So it must not be that big of a deal. I've definitely, I've done the same thing. I, I still use that argument in certain cases because it makes sense. I, I get it, but I'm just, I just feel like a little, I, there's something that feels a little weird to me about like the kind of person, and, and again, you guys aren't that guy, but the kind of person who will use that as a, as a, as a compass, it's like, dude, that can't be the metric that, you know, like the, the urge for things to reproduce overpowers a lot of things. Like what, what's a puppy mill, right? A puppy mills, all these puppies that'll, all these dogs that'll breed in a shit, shit condition have, they're all half dead, but they're still breeding. So it's like, I, I don't know, but, um, it no. sounds it sounds a little combative and it's not meant to be no right. you're no you're absolutely correct um and that the thing is is that there's just a lot of levels to this thing it's not oh, just yeah. it's not just have cohab or to not oh yeah it's, yeah it's yeah. 
cohabbing and doing it properly is that's another a whole other discussion. Totally. So, you're you're adding you're adding another level of education for yourself to keep these animals together. And Phil, you said it. You're mm-hmm. adding that level of okay. Um, I know I can keep them apart and breed them. I know what I'm looking for. But now when I keep them together, how do I know when when they're quarreling and not mating? How yeah. do I know? How do you tell the difference between that to not lose an animal uh, potentially? Now, I don't know anything, you know, as far as lizards and that go, leopard geckos, crested geckos, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. I, I guess, you know, I mean, we always cohabbed our crested geckos. We kept a male with two females in a big enough cage with enough hides and we mm-hmm. never had a problem with them. You know, the only sure. problem I had was, is the females always wanted to lay eggs in the exact same spot. So if you didn't <laughs> catch it quick enough, they would be digging up the other egg. Right. You know, so, sure. you know, well, I mean, I, I well, and, I, don't know. and, and I, I will say too, that like, I, again, specifically regarding Euromastics, I don't know anyone even some of my best friends who have been doing it way, way longer than me. I don't know any Euromastix breeder who's co-having year round, getting consistent breeding where they get breeding from the same animals every year, maybe only skipping a year or two here and there with good hatch rates on those babies. And the animals are living into their, it well into their uh, upper end of their life expectancy. When, when I see, you know, it's like with Euromastix specifically, you might get a lot of people who cohabitate their animals all year round and they might get breeding and they might get relatively consistent breeding, but you see a lot of holes in that in, or um, maybe a lot of blips in that line, right? You get, you know, instead of getting good eggs every single year, you get a one year of good eggs, everything's perfect. And then the next year, like half the eggs die. And then the next year, like um, the female lays when you didn't want her to, and she missed the males, you know, when, when the male was ready. And then the next year they get good results again. It's like, it's so all over the board. And, you know, I don't, while I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with an animal skipping a season of breeding when it chooses that, right. Given all the other options, like, because I keep things solo, actually, I I talked with Ron about this earlier this year, which is that I had a handful of ornate females again, kept totally solo for this whole time who I introduced Mm -hmm. to the males. They mated, they got huge, they got eggy. And then they, they they started digging and then they stopped and they reabsorbed the eggs and they were just like, nah, they just decided not to do it. That is to me is like a great thing because that tells me that they're making a decision about like their own longevity over the decision to lay, to lay eggs and breed anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. So now I'm not saying that if they were housed, together that they would do anything differently. I don't mean that at all, but I'm just saying that like, um, us other than the occasional skipped year, I take uh, all those other occurrences, like where the females lays, lays duds instead of fertile eggs when she's been housed with a male for like the whole year round or when they miss each other or like when, when they, everything seems to go well and she lays 20 eggs, but only 10 of them hatch that kind of situation, I take that as something was wrong. Like I didn't do it because that's, that's gotta never happen in the wild. Right. I mean, in my mind, the animals that breed and survive in the wild are the ones that manage, they manage. Right. So like, Mm -hmm. you're not going to see, you might see high infant mortality, but you probably almost never see like missed 
animals missing the window to breed if they were ready they all mate when they're supposed to they lay eggs the way they're supposed to no females die egg bound in the wild i mean i'm sure it happens every once in a while but it's probably the the very much the not normal right and so um you know i i don't know i just feel like if i'll do i i will try to cohab euros more as soon as i see someone doing all of those things and getting consistent yearly killer results. And they've got euros breeding into their thirties, then I'll try it, you know, like, <laughs> but like, of course it's, that's just Euromastics, you know, yeah, but, I, right. I, yeah. but see, I don't think you should be doing that at all. I think you should do what works for you. That's, that's oh, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, sure. And sure. I think that this works. I wouldn't, you know, don't, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of yeah, thing. Sure, yep. sure. And yeah, hundred percent. And I think I also, but I do think, I do disagree with you on one point. I do think that you, so a lot of the things you describe, you know, mm-hmm. the problems that you've seen, I think you're tying those to, to the cohabitation thing. And I mm-hmm. think those are tenuous links at best. I think um, oh. they, there's, I think there's just a shit ton of other factors that could be involved. And I think what, what you're potentially seeing is that when you cohab them, then the, mm-hmm. the little bit of added pressure stress pushes them over the line so mm-hmm. then things that are already there but are just kind of like you know they're not they're like sort of in balance and then it pushes mm-hmm. them out yeah that yeah. that's just i mean there could be a lot of other things and i mean look i i i'm gonna say this and it's gonna sound like shit it's gonna sound <laughs> terrible but this is i feel like this is a true statement i see tons of blue tongue skinks that are housed individually by people that know what they're doing and when i see them compared to the ones that are outside and i do not think i'm fucking tooting my own horn here i think the ones that heather and i have raised outdoors look far superior Mm. to the ones that i see at these shows they're they just they don't have muscle structure Mm. they're they're just there's and it could be an artifact of keeping them in those tubs you know, or mine are outside and they can climb and they get sunlight and all that. I don't know exactly what the cause is, but I will say that all of the blue tongues that we have here, and they're all outdoors in pairs, cohabbed year round, never separated. Um, they're huge. They're robust. They're, they're enormous. They're, they're beefy. The ones that are, were big enough or old enough to produce, produce every year. Um, they So don't... we see, I, I've seen... Ron, I'm sorry to interrupt. I want to make sure that no, I, no, I say okay. this. I see people on some of the forums on Facebook. Um, pretty much it, it, lately, it's been on the DIY forum that I post on, um, talking about you know somebody builds a, a snake cage and they put lights and stuff in it, and people are like, "Oh, snakes don't need lights. You know, they don't need this. They don't need that." And I hear the same thing about blue tongues. Oh, just put them in a rack and don't worry about it. Put it in a ball python rack and throw some hay inside there on top of some paper and give them. Yeah, I mean, that does bugs. work. Right. Yeah, 100 percent. But but there's a caveat to that. We say as keepers, do they really need UVB? Do they really need natural sunlight? Blah, blah, blah. But I think what you're doing, keeping them outside is a testament to yeah. the health of the animal because they're not raised indoors. They don't live in a cave their whole life where they never see the sun. Even if it's a nocturnal animal that's living in the canopy that, that doesn't do anything during the day, it's still getting 
a small amount of UVB or UV light into its body somehow, regardless of what we say, regardless of how much we think they don't need it. And I saw this firsthand putting UVB lights on uh, mamba cages and immediately seeing all those mambas flock to lay right underneath those lights to get that UV. So I, I can... I can say without a shadow of a doubt, does it need it? No, but is it beneficial? Mm. I, I believe it's right. highly yeah. beneficial. And Ron, yeah. I've seen Ron's animals and I've seen the animals it shows and I've seen them online. And, and I will attest to the fact that, you know, it, there's something there. Yeah. As far as like the blue tongues, if you go to any facility that keeps them indoors and, I, and I've been to places where people have kept them in racks, when you pull them out, they just sit there. They're these Jabba the Hut things. Yeah. They have no re they have no reaction at all. They look up, their tongues are out as far as like a food reaction. They're like, oh, are you giving me food? There's no immediate real response. When you keep them outdoors, like for instance, uh, the only person I know that has them outdoors is Ron. So when you go outside and you look at Ron's, the moment they even catch a glimpse of you, they bolt, they run. Mm. You know, these when he pulls them out, these animals are lean. Uh, you know, these animals are built for what they're actually supposed to be built for. Mm -hmm. uh, indoors are these just sluggish animals that they're just acclimated to just be fed. And that is it. That's all they know is to be fed. Mm. So. Well, yeah. but that, but that was my point though. The, where I was going with all this was, is that it, it's to, to basically take up what Phil said of how, you know, just because they breed doesn't mean they're, that you're keeping them as, as, best as possible or that yeah. they're even in good shape and, and i agree with that that's absolutely true there's just no one aspect to that and it can be done in a million so basically i the criteria that i use is when i look at the stuff does it look healthy is it active does it you know is it engaging in some way is it is it uh you know there's just a whole bunch i can't even really uh, verbalize it because it's a whole bunch of things that just sort of I just instinctively know when I w do mm. the rounds and I look and if I see something that appears to be you know having an issue then I separate for a time mm -hmm. see if it goes away um, but it's pretty rare that I have to do that but it does happen now mm -hmm. I just don't think I, I just don't think that any one thing like let's just say cohabbing or UV or you know, the food, I don't think any one of those things matters as much as we tend to make them uh, out in the industry. And I think mm. it's, it's a, it's a combination of a lot of things. And, and basically, and honestly, what it really comes down to at the end of the day is fucking moderation. Yeah. Cover every base, which is what essentially what you do, right? Yeah. So whether yeah. you cohab them or not, that's irrelevant. I, my, mm. my feeling is I think, you found a system that works for you. Clearly, you're one of the best Euromastics breeders I've ever seen. I wouldn't fucking touch a thing with that. The only yeah, things gonna... that I would I would iterate on with that is just, you know, little whatever little things you see that you think could be better than mm -hmm. I would iterate on that stuff. But mm -hmm. I wouldn't touch the base thing that you've built because you're getting the results. Your animals look good. Mm -hmm. They yep. You're one of the few people that I see the post Euromastic photos where I look at them. They're like, holy shit, those those are fucking they look like, you know, that's what I would amazing. expect. 
Yeah, that's what yeah. I would expect them to look like. It has nothing to yep. do with the color or anything else. Mm -hmm. They have all of the, you know, they have they basically tick all the mental boxes of mine. You know, are they? Yeah. Are they look. Are they? They're not obese. They're not. You know, they're kind of. They're. They look muscular. Shiny. Yeah. Yeah. The muscular thing. <laughs> yeah is yeah. something that the industry really doesn't pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And something that drives me fucking crazy mm -hmm. is that, you know, I'll go to a show and I'll see an animal that looks <laughs> fucking amazing. You pick it up and it's like a wet noodle. Yeah. And that's, that's the, basically the result of uh, keeping them in bear cages. I think mm -hmm. he's animals. the only person. He's the only person that posts your mastics that makes me want to keep your mastics. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I agree. <laughs> hey, oh, thanks. that's, I mean, listen, that, <laughs> yeah, that's and, true. And, and Philip, you say, you know, you, everybody keeps things different. What works here yeah. in Florida doesn't work in New York. What works oh, in yeah. New York doesn't work in Florida. So yeah. keep doing what you're doing. But, but here's the thing. Are you, I think potentially you're right because is it that people say, well, your mastics are so hard to breed. That's what I've always heard. They're so hard to breed. Mm -hmm. You know, you put them together and they don't do anything. They don't lay yeah. eggs. They're not consistent, blah, blah, blah. Have you unlocked that or checked that box to say, hey, this is just how you have to do it, mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, they're, they're just they just don't do well in that type of setting. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they just they just don't thrive. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I mean, um, so to just to bring it back for just a quick second, I actually, Ron, I, I totally uh, I feel you. I, I do think that um, I could be I try to leave open the possibility that. Um, I'm making an erroneous connection between the cohabitation and those other problems that I've seen with euros um, not going the way they ought to go. And to, to your guys's point, um, another option I've been entertaining lately has been the possibility that it's the caging style. So it could be the open top enclosures that the animals are just because the enclosure opens from the top and everything that happens comes at them from the top stresses could, could keep them at yeah. a baseline level of stress that you put yeah. another animal in that enclosure and, and they take out that spook on each other. So I, I can totally see that being um, a factor. I, I, you know, certainly no, I don't think I've got, I don't think it's like the, the only way of, of course, by any means, but um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm definitely not going to toy with it too much at the moment, right? It's now, as as you guys, as you guys said, it's mainly just a, a matter of keeping making any small changes that may or may not be necessary to keep everybody as happy mm -hmm. as possible, continuing yeah. to make them look yeah. better every year. You know, babies look better every year, that kind of thing. That's great. Um, and and so a lot of my attention now has been focused on trying to do the same thing, but with the cacrics and with the anoles and with the, 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 um, the Amy and the dragons and the Xenogama. Like I want to, I want to find the same, the same Avenue. I want to find out like what keeps them at their peak best. And, you know, I wonder, I, I mean, I'd imagine that if people kept blue tongue skinks like you do outside, they probably look phenomenal as well. You know what I mean? It's gotta be, if some of those things have got to be huge, huge factors too. I, I mean, if anything, that's one of the things I like most about this is like when something changes what, you know, what I'm, what I'm up to here, if something changes it significantly enough and I see a huge change in the animals themselves, it's just like, all right. Yeah. It's like such a good yeah. feeling, you know? Well, I, the, the, I think honestly, the, sorry, Eddie, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say the cool thing about the topic is it's a, it's a forever going topic because yeah. it, it depends on, it depends on the species. Like for instance, oh, there's your cat. Uh, for yeah. instance, oh. you know, your mastics, you know, uh, 
don't keep them together. The end. Yeah. That, that's really what I'm getting from everything you've ever told. I don't know. And and then you know every other species, it it really depends. Like for instance, uh, my Aldabra. Uh-huh. Um, when I when I got my Aldabra, it fucking hated me. It hated <laughs> life. It hated everything. Oh, and man. you know, I kept I, I kept it by itself. And and it, it it turns out that the Aldabra tortoise as a species is actually a very social communal species. They actually will like sleep next to each other. They'll cuddle next to each other. It, it's wow. Uh, Did you just really, say cuddle? Really, yeah, no, they'll, they'll actually. I said the word cuddle. They'll, <laughs> no, if you really if you research, what they'll do is they'll actually go up to each other and they'll actually sleep with their necks kind of like on top of each other and they'll just <laughs> sit there. Males, females, it doesn't matter. Okay, but um, reptiles oh, do not fucking cuddle. They don't. They don't cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't. They don't. They don't. How dare you yeah. anthropomorphize on this program? Like, yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, so, for instance, I, um, I'm pretty cool with Sam uh, Pascucci, who is the one who who gave me the tortoise. So I was talking to him, and he was, and I was telling him like, "Hey, this tortoise is an asshole. Like, he fucking hates it." <laughs> and and he was like, "Because he okay, heard you <laughs> say they cuddle. <laughs> they cuddle." Yeah. yeah. So, so he was like, okay, what do you have? And this goes to another topic as, as far as cohabitation, because we really didn't focus on this part. So he was like, what do you, what other tortoises do you keep? I said, I keep redfoots. And he's like, okay, well, redfoots and then uh, Aldabras, they have a somewhat similar, you know, uh, area where they live. He's like, put your Aldabra with your redfoots and maybe you'll see a difference. I did that night and day situation. This thing was fucking happy. He followed all my redfoots. He, he, uh, the redfoots would come to me for food. So then he started coming to me for food where this animal was just an asshole. didn't want to see me. Trivial. I could only feed it. I would feed him and I would have to leave for like an hour for this thing to get up and eat his food. But, you know, now, but the redfoots, they come, they see me, they come, they eat. So he would do it. He tries to interact with the other redfoots. They, they don't give a shit. Um, they don't, they don't even know what he is, but he tries to like interact with them. He puts his head next to their heads and all of that. Um, so in that aspect, the cohabitation works. And mm-hmm. this is where, this is where the real cohabitation part comes in. Cohabitation yep. with different species. Yeah, that's pretty now, cool. I don't, I don't know if anyone else is doing it. So for me, for instance, obviously what I just said, the Aldabra is with the Redfoots. He's loving it. He, he's the king of the, the whole area. Um, I keep, uh, the the Leomactus, both species, uh, Longipes and Serratus, I keep them with the helmet of iguanas, the Cristatus. Oh, wow. Um, I've done that for years. I actually got that idea from um, Eric. Uh, I don't know if you guys know him. Ron knows him. Um, it's basically Incorrect. the ZooMed rep. Oh, uh, oh no, yeah. Eric from no, ZooMed. No, yeah, yeah. Eric, Eric from ZooMed. Actually, no disrespect to Eric. I'm the one who gave Eric that, that idea. Um, he'll listen to this, by the way. Um, so Eric <laughs> from ZooMed one day was right. this was years ago was, was talking to me and he was like hey have you ever kept these two species together and i was like no i haven't and he's like well you know in the wild because eric um eric from zoom and i don't know his last name so we're just gonna call him eric from zoom right that's what i call uh, it too <laughs> <laughs> so 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 eric from zoom um he was like hey you know i've gone to costa rica a couple times on these single trees these giant because you know in these these rainforests in costa rica their trees are they're these gigantic um ecosystems of a tree so you you get all these different species just living on one tree mm-hmm. and he was telling me where he was at there was you know leo Mat, which is the conehead lizard whatever species it was it was the conehead lizard mm-hmm. and then at the bottom of it was a cristatus oh. with no issue at all 
And I was like, you know what? I have both these species. Let me put them together. So I did it. And I've been doing it for four years now. Cool. So, and it, it's really cool. So what happens is the, the, the cone heads, which is more of a, like an upper um, layered animal, almost like that, like the, the anul situation. So the cone heads go to the top, they bask, that's where they live. And then your Cristatus, all your helmeted iguana species, uh, Cristatus, Hernandezes, and all the other ones, they're at the base of the tree. Mm. Um, so they really never interact with each other. There's never any sort of uh, clashing of each other. They kind of just, they act like none of each other exists. <laughs> leave each other up. They completely leave each other alone. Uh, so, you know, that's what Eric observed online, or that's what he observed in person in Costa Rica. So um, Eric Haycraft, not Eric from Zoomed, Eric Haycraft and I were talking one day and I was like, hey, put them together. So if you really want to see a really good example, if you go to Eric Haycraft on uh, Instagram and Facebook, you can actually see the cohabitation together of these two different species. Cool. It works. It, it works really well. Um, he okay, he so actually did it. He did it better than I ever could do it. That dude has beautiful animals. So where I did my internship again, we set up uh, some new Doug Bar cages. Uh, cages are five foot tall, four foot wide, two foot deep. They have two arboreal shift boxes. Uh, one on the right, one on the left that are all the way up at the top. So these ship boxes, they're meant for mambas, which are some arboreal snakes. So in the Western Green Mamba cage, we added a, a gaboon viper because they cross ranges and they're found mm. near each other. So again, it adds a level of complexity when you're feeding or cleaning or doing something because not only do you have, you, you, you it doesn't matter. You have landmines in there. It is what it mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times, the the mambas will go to the ship box because it's up high they'll hide you just close the ship box now you just deal with the snake on the ground because it's a ground snake right mm -hmm. that's where it lives well guess what those <laughs> snakes were in there for a week and they caught that snake the gaboon viper coming out of the ship box from five feet up in the air it went right cool. up the tree branches and into the ship so mm -hmm. if you give these animals what they want. I mean, they live together in the wild. And yes, I know somebody right now is, is going to be saying, Oh, you're putting them in a box. They right. don't have an unlimited amount of space to get away from one another. Absolutely. That would be my argument. But, <laughs> yeah. But, it, but if you watch them and keep an eye on them, I think there's a lot that can be said for doing that. Those snakes now have been together for well over a year and mm -hmm. there's never any issues. They eat, they have no problem. They don't mess with each other. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, I wouldn't put an olive python and a, and a carpet python together to live because the olive python probably going to eat the carpet python. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are certain species that you're not going to be able to do it with. But if you're talking about animals in a range together, I, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. They don't, no even need to be, they don't even need to be in the same range. They just have to be compatible yeah. in some way. Because if you yeah. think about it, zoos have been cohabitating a wide range of species. I yeah. mean, we're even talking about cohabitating mammals and reptiles and mm -hmm. birds. and Oh, reptiles. yeah, yeah. And the fish yep. industry. I mean, what yeah. the hell is the saltwater reef tank? It's a fucking cohab, a badass cohab thing of compatible yep. animals, not necessarily from the same fucking ocean. Mm, that yeah. have similar Makes needs sense. and i mean the same thing reptiles work exactly the same way yeah so um 
in the past I've had multi-species enclosures, but the caveat is again, that doesn't work in a bare ass box. The bare ass box is great if you're a commercial breeder, mm. you know, and you want, and so you have one to a thing and I don't, and no one here operates that way. I'm just saying, yeah. but the majority yeah. of the, of the people that keep stuff, they tend to keep, everybody kind of emulates the commercial systems. Right. Mm. But that's not really, I mean, I don't, I mean, I do, I build, I mean, I am a commercial, we are a commercial outfit on a smaller, you know, kind of very independent scale, but I build these pseudo commercial systems, you know, Heather and I worked on this fucking an old system for years. Hmm. And it's just now to the point where I think it's the best it's ever been. I mean, I, I'm very happy with this system. It gives all the stuff they need. And it's a, it's a pseudo thing. It's half, um, you know, it's half terrarium style vivarium building kind of thing, naturalistic sort of. And then it's also, but it's commercially viable. Like I can mm-hmm. service a large number of units myself in a reasonable amount of time, mm-hmm. but that's a yeah. very difficult thing to pull off. So in that system, um, it allows me to keep pairs and, and, and actually everything is done this way. The blue tongues are done this way. The, the lace monitors are built. Uh, the systems are built that way. They're, they're built to have a pair, but and it's sort of a commercial system, but not really. And it's kind of on the line. I don't copy the very large scale breeders. And I've, I have intimate knowledge of, uh, of some of the biggest ones. I've been to their places. Um, some of them, I was there quite a bit and I know exactly how they operate. I've seen their systems, their systems work. Um, but the quality of animals they produce is not what I would, would want to come out of here. And Heather wouldn't, would really not, uh, she's way more, um, forceful (laughs) about, uh, how good the quality is than I ever was. So, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it's important to both of us that if we stick it in a box and send it to someone, that what they get is a kick-ass thing. That they, yeah, that yeah. they when they open that box, they're like, "Holy shit, this is, you know, yep, this is amazing." Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so I mean, I just think the general herp populace that you see, you know, through social media and stuff, I think that's where the no, no coat no cohabitation thing comes from where you get all these people that just get so freaked out. They don't even know why it's bad. They they think, and really again, it's bad if you shove them in a bear box or a 40 gallon breeder tank with a a branch and a, you know, and a fucking water bowl, that's not enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, cause you're not even meeting the basic needs of a single animal that you're putting in it. Yeah. So, you know, when you, when you cohab, you have to meet all it's, it is much more difficult, the initial setup, but it's much more, it, the long-term management of it is simpler than what you do. So your yeah. system mm-hmm. is probably a little easier to set up because you don't have to be quite so, um, you know, you don't have to cover like everything you can, but but yeah. your system is much harder to manage and it takes a much greater um, level of skill to manage that because you can't afford, you have to catch 
everything you know on yeah you have to be stay on top of everything like yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll freely admit i take five six months off every year where i just you know i like everything to go to sleep i don't want to fucking look at it right now I, I like the fact that they're all hibernating and i'm off doing my video game thing <laughs> but but uh and if i but the, you know they come sometimes they come out early depending on the the weather mm-hmm. and if i missed it you know i didn't notice that they were breeding because it was cold mm-hmm. and i thought they weren't doing anything you know i'd miss it i wouldn't get them together in time and all this so there's a yeah. variety of reasons why i do it the way i do it but yeah neither one of those um they're just two totally different outlooks totally different systems yeah and th- this this seems to be a place where it's it's like um now we're you know once we get past the the once you get past the point where you're talking about like how to get things consistent or how happy each individual animal is, then it's, it's talking a little bit more about like our, it's almost like artistic expression in some, in, in a way, right. Where yeah. like the mm-hmm. way, the way you want to engage with your animals seasonally and the kind of results you're looking for. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of the, that part I think is super beautiful because um, ha- half the time when I follow a, someone who's doing a kick-ass job with their animals Sometimes it's just because they, they make it look so damn badass. Like, um, yep. I, I've, I've, there's a guy I've mentioned a, a couple of times, just this random cat on uh, Instagram, um, Wellspring Herpeticulture, Wellspring Herp. He lives in the UK and um, he's got some of those uh, Polycris uh, marmoratus, those, those monkey knolls, yep. you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and he, he, lives dude, in the, he, lives, he lives in the U.S., no, it's got to be yeah. a different guy. Cause no, Roy, no, he, Roy he's, no way. He's here in the States. I thought he was across the pond. He made it. He seriously told me like he was, I right, was on the bad. phone. I mean, I was on the phone. Damn with it. Him. He spoke. All right, JK. Never. <laughs> sorry, dude. American sorry, accent. So, English. I thought I, I just, if some, I think some of it just had to be when we would respond to each other. He listens to this, by the way. He listens to this. Damn it. You've offended all the trailer park people. Now you offended Roy. Yeah, come on, Phil. What the hell? I'm not too worried about the trailer park people, but Roy. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, no, 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 no. no. But I, I get, I get what Phil's saying. Roy, you got to go on his page. Yeah, I've seen I've seen it. Yeah, they're badass. And, yep. and, and he, he does, he's got the whole thing put together. It's stunning, stunning enclosures yeah. that have, that are so well constructed. And he's taking beautiful photos of animals that are in like perfect condition. I mean, that dude is just knocking it out of the park, man. And uh, now that I know he's stateside, <laughs> like I can, that's, that's, that's hilarious. But anyway, so- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Phil, Phil, that's the, I mean, you just said it. So when I first, when I first, (laughs) we went to carpet fest the first time at Cody's and I walked in and I looked at all of his cages and I was like, well, that's interesting. Every cage had tree branches with green leaves. And I was like, Hmm. So then when, when I went to the facility and started interning, it was, Hey, go on out in the yard and, get some branch clippings and just shove them in the cage, you know, take the snake out clean and then take new branches, rinse them off real well with water, shake them out and then just stick them in the cage. And I was like, 
that's kind of odd. <laughs> and he was like, what's going to get in the cage? Maybe a spider here and there, maybe a couple ants. It's not, you know, it's not a big deal. Yeah. And then I started to think, well, here are these six foot vision cage or not vision, um, Neodesh cages with sliding glass doors, which only one door was glass. The other door was a solid piece of plastic, the color of the cage. And here we were putting branches into these mamba cages that we were literally, you were fighting to get the branches in. So now imagine trying to catch that six foot or seven foot oh, yeah. intertangled into all that. And it makes the job harder for us. Yeah. But it makes it the life of the animal so much better to give them what they really want. So again, back to what Ron was saying, throwing a branch in a cage with a water bowl and some bedding is not the right way to do it. Mm. You know, filling it up with tree branches, as big a pain in the ass as it was, you know, sometimes that I watched, I watched two hours worth of going back and forth, right to left, right to left, right to left, slide the glass this way, slide the glass that way, slide the glass this way, because the snake had so many places to go, they just had to be patient and wait for it to get to that point where you're like, there we go. We got it. It's out. We can clean it, you know, mm -hmm. put fresh stuff in. But again, it's everybody's minimalistic, simplistic. I just don't want to deal with that. I don't think is always the right way to go. And, you know, I mean, I've put branches and everything in all the cages and it's a pain in the ass from time to time, but I think, you know, I've kind of lucked out. I've got some really mellow animals. We just got the new Cameroon forest Cobra. Um, yeah. I've only, I've only seen it once. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, and, did... Hey buddy. Um, so, sorry. Cat, no, you're good. Um, so Hopefully running around in front of I it. know, dude, it's, it's the life. Uh, <laughs> that, cat's a... mooned us. that cat has mooned us. Several <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, times. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. The cat ass. Got him. <laughs> but God, for all you people listening, you didn't miss anything. <laughs> so, so is he was, from the, is he from the UK too? Yeah. <laughs> no, dude, you know what happened is I think it was just, district. I don't even know how that happened. It was just an accident in somehow in my head. I had just, it, I don't know if it was like the style of his cages made me think, Oh, the Europeans do that. You know, when he said, when he told me, his, um, cause I've been talking with him cause he's having me cat make, that's good he's, shit. <laughs> he's, he's, he's having me make his logo for him, for his, his yeah. rad, his rad business. And I, and, and he, when he told me his name was Roy Arthur Blodgett to me, that sounded like a character out of like Peaky wow. Blinders, you know? <laughs> You know what I mean? You're I was like, like, oh, this guy's I, last I, name is something should be from here. Wait, wait, wait. Once I, again, <laughs> once again, I know for a fact he listens to this. No, so. I know, I know. I told <laughs> him I'm, amazing. I, I'm sure he'll I hope he's not mad at me. Like, Eddie, Eddie, like, you need to reach Eddie, you need to reach out to him and see if he wants to come on next month. <laughs> well, yeah. it's funny because yeah. uh, I, I did my very first pod the, the very first podcast I ever did with uh, Bill Bradley. I was trying to shout him out. I was trying to shout Roy out and I completely forgot his, I forgot everything. I had a, that was my first podcast I've ever done. So my, my brain was just everywhere. And I was like, this guy that breeds the monkey lizards, uh, Arthur, <laughs> Arthur something. And I was like, oh fuck, I, I butchered this man. Yeah. But at least well, I knew he was from America. At least you knew. So. At least, yeah, you knew. At least you knew his his country of origin. Yeah, that's Ron <laughs> must be from damn Canada. It, I mean, for all I know, right. I don't know. Like, like, damn it, man! You just, you just better fucking hope he doesn't live in a trailer. 
Because oh, really <laughs> yeah, you double, you double and yeah, you, you double yeah, and double 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 double. that one. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm just, I, I, it, I don't hate, I don't got anything against trailer parks, man. It's not I've, like that. I've, it's, I've it's, talked to him in person. He does not have a hillbilly accent. He's, he's okay. very, very eloquent in his, in his speaking. I, well, if anything, it was just a compliment. That's all it was. It's just like, cause, cause Such a compliment. His, yeah, because the Europeans do such a damn good job with their animals. I mean, if somebody, I have people, I take, if somebody mistakes me for like living in Europe, they're, I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. I'm basically, <laughs> I'm basically European. I don't know. <laughs> but right now um, you're, you're not European, you're a pooping. I know. I'm not doing a good job. <laughs> I, definitely, uh, definitely dropping the ball on, on numerous yeah, things come on, here. Man. But um, wh- what I, <laughs> one of the things <laughs> I was going to say was that, uh, sorry, Roy, just anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> damn it one of the things i was going to say was that uh i i really personally have a draw towards what ron was saying earlier which is the kind of middle ground between straight up commercialization and um you know like, like pure tr- habitat mimicry right like the, yeah. the 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 mesh between those two things i think is a space where things can get really fun and um I feel like there's a lot of freedom there. Whereas I feel like in the pure commercial space, you're, you're such a slave to the numbers and the, Correct. I mean, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you can't do it well. It's just a, yeah, it's just like you Take have one, harder. one goal in mind. Right? right. And then if you're, and then if you're doing the, I have to mimic the habitat perfectly and every, you know, I I'm, I'm going balls to the wall on the, on, on yeah. how amazing this looks, even though that is beautiful. And I have a, a really profound respect for that that middle ground between the two there's so much room for for injecting creativity um i think you can maybe learn more about the animals that you're working with when you sit in that middle zone and i don't mean more but i just mean like you can play with a lot more weird stuff to see like why is it that these animals like this kind of hide like what is it about how right. this resembles their habitat that they like this so well and you know, um, I also think that there's an opportunity to, uh, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to talk about like, um, the ability to convey a lot of, um, improvement in the most number, I mean, we're, we're, if we're talking about captive reptiles, if I can, if we, if we can find a way to make the giving them exactly what they need easy to do. So in other words, like taking, you know, that middle ground, which is like, not quite commercial, not quite the exact habitat, something that your average person can do is going to improve the average level of care for the average reptile kept. Whereas, you know, so it, but whereas if you're doing it in either direction, you might be going in opposite directions from the, from the goal of the average person. Right. And, you know, so I think you're, what, what you're saying is, is I think you're seeing some of the people in the industry start to make that change from Mm -hmm. commercialization to, like Ron said, the hobby side of things. And one of the people that I see doing the most, and I really don't follow him anymore is, is Tom, you know, from, Mm. from where Tom was, you know, years ago, if you look at what he's, what he posts now, you know, the things that I've seen are not commercial anymore. You know, it's, it's more about let's build an enclosure that, you know, to, to him and the years of experience that he has, that's works best for his animals. And, you know, I mean, kudos to him for doing so, you know, but, but he's, he's right in some of the, the statements that, you know, 
commercialization of, of reptiles is, is never going to go away, at mm. least not, mm. not in the near future. So mm. we have to have that commercial portion of it. And we have to have the hobby portion of it because without the hobby portion, what's the purpose of the commercial portion? Without mm. the commercial portion, there's not going to be a hobby portion. Mm. So, you know, they're just, everybody walks a tightrope and does things their own way, you know, and I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm very happy with building these cages and it's, it's fun. Um, I think, I don't think I'm very good at it, but mm. I think I'm, I'm learn. I learn more and more each time I do it. I learn, Oh, that didn't work. Don't do that again. You know? So I, I learn mm. from it, you know? So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the most important thing. I it, think it's all a, it's all a middle ground, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. when I, yeah. when I, when I kept, um, when I, when I did cohab the serratus with the cristatus, I mean, it was a seven foot reptibreeze with a six foot planted, um, ficus, ficus tree in Sick. the reptibreeze. Damn. Um, and it, yeah, no. And then at the bottom of the, at the actual bottom, it was all leaf litter. It was a pain in the ass to co- to collect eggs, mm, you know. Because I'm also mm. I'm also doing I'm also doing it to breed and sell. At the same time, yeah. I want these animals to live well. But you know, it was a it was a pain in the ass. Like I said, sure. I, I had a I had a full grown ficus tree. Um, I had one animal that was at the very top. I had one animal at the mm-hmm. very bottom. And then if they ever did lay any eggs, I mean how do you dig through a giant ficus tree that, you know, yeah, the, the animals yeah. are digging, they're, the, the animals are digging through the roots and everything. Right. So you got to find that, you got to find that middle ground. So, you know, for me, it was to keep them separate. So my cone heads were separate. My, my, my cristatus, they ended up being separate. And at the end of the day, they, they ended up laying eggs for me and producing for me both species but not mm-hmm. in the same situation that they would be in the wild where it in almost in a way it seemed like they preferred. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's another thing. Um, Dennis McNamara <laughs> was here this week. He came down, he's from the Virginia zoo and he's also a, a very, very good herpetoculturist. Um, he breeds a lot of like rare snakes and stuff, but anyway, he came down here to pick up some, a pair of black throat monitors that we sold the zoo to take them back. And he was here for a couple of days and we were talking about some stuff. And one of the things him and I were talking about was cage size and how, mm. you know, and he brought this up again, which is something that I've always followed as well, is that in, it's not really the size of the cage is far less important than how you outfit the enclosure. You can do, mm. it's better to have a smaller cage that you can, you know, really you know, do it up and have, you know, like amazing, all all the stuff they need, then have a larger cage that has, that's harder to, to, um, you know, it's harder to get like, like Eddie was talking about, I have that six foot fucking rep debris that he brought over here and it's sitting there (laughs) and I'm I'm looking at it going, how the fuck am I going to fill that thing properly (laughs) without, you're, you're, you're welcome. Yeah, no, no. And I mean, I will, I will eventually, uh, he brought me like two or three of them. Eventually I will fill those, but, but to outfit those is way harder than to outfit the three foot ones that I use for the annul pairs. Mm. I mean, I can, those, I can, I can easily outfit them all. They, they, they're perfect. They have everything they need. The annuls look great in them, but I was thinking about, you know, I almost went with a four foot. And then at the last minute I decided I probably 
can't afford, I needed 80 of them. That's another story, but I probably can't afford to outfit 80 of those properly in a, in a, in a reasonable amount of time. I mean, we're looking at, I, I don't even know. I, my last estimate was about 200 bucks a cage just to outfit it with a four foot, you know, with everything that I thought it would mm-hmm. need. So I was like, yeah, that's, that's not happening. So I went with three foot It drastically cut down the cost and, um, and it was just a totally different game. So, you know, yeah. that's the thing to, I think more than anything, the way the herpetoculture needs to go is basically what's been going on in Europe for 20 or 30 years now is, you know, the bioactive, the more natural setup where you put, mm-hmm. it's worth it to put the extra work into having, I mean, you'll get way more enjoyment out of it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know about you. And this is not a, I'm not, I'm not making a negative statement on racks. I own racks. I do use them depending on what I'm doing. They have their uses. And even those, the racks, you can take a rack box and you can fucking, uh, yep. I, I saw a video of Emily Maples, uh, uh, crested geckos the other day that Kaufman did. And she has those, she has crested geckos in this rack, but she doesn't have them in bare boxes. Those boxes are totally, uh, outfitted you know they're equipped yep when she pulls them out they look fucking awesome they have everything they need in Mm. that box so it's really not necessarily about that container but it's about what you do with the fucking container that you need to go look where the animal comes from think about it a little more stop copying the bare ass commercial uh, setups they're not enjoyable Mm. they they exist for a purpose to make yeah you know pets for the pet industry Mm -hmm. um and they and they do a damn good job at that because you can keep a large number of animals very clean very sterile it's like hospital type enclosures you know hospital type situation Mm -hmm. you know where it's real clean and sterile and all that but that's not fun and for long term like if you want if you get stuff and you want to keep it you know the entirety of its life where it can live it out 10 20 30 years whatever providing a, a you know a good enclosure which is what we that's what we try to do here that's why mm-hmm. we're not a huge i mean i think i probably could have been that a long time ago had i wanted to but the punk rock side of me says fuck you to all that corporate shit <laughs> and uh and i just can't i just can't bring myself to i just don't feel good about it i mean i've dabbled i dabbled in it for a couple of years i was producing large-scale numbers of bearded dragons for petco but even then i was doing it outdoors i was doing it my way mm. and um, but it was not enjoyable it was just sort of a crank them out the money was good yeah that was enjoyable but but it was soulless and kind of you know yeah and so when i went back to doing this now and heather you know is of the same mindset you know we 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 exist on that line like it's almost mm. commercial but it's almost hobby. It's that's the mm-hmm. sweet spot for, for being yeah. a, a breeder. And, so, you know, and, and the other thing that's cool is um, out of the people who, well, at least the people who I've sold to, who go to do what you're talking about, which is to take those extra steps with their animal, they tend to be much less likely to part ways with that animal long-term, yeah. you know, they keep their stuff a lot longer. Um, I think that just lends itself to, to teaching the average keeper a little bit more about like stick to itiveness and like really seeing a project through, even, if, you know, even, even it, look, I mean, you know, cause we all bail on stuff. It just happens. Right. But um, you know, I love 
the number of people who, you know, dive in and spend months putting together an incredible enclosure and making the faux rock out of foam and cement and painting it and putting a border, you know, like a, a badass background in the enclosure. And they, tr- they put like 12 lights in one damn cage for this Euro and all this. I mean, that stuff's really, really, really cool, you know? Um, and it's, uh, you know, whereas I think if it's, if it's a more commercial style setup, it's, it's a lot easier in some ways because those, you could just flip to any other new species. You go like, well, I was doing leopard geckos and now I'm just going to put the same, you know, I'm going to have the same boxes and I'm going to fill them with corn snakes or something, you know? Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, see, yeah. So that's Phil, that's what I did. I, I did the black foam cork bark and bedding oh, wow. with this cage. And the, I put this cork round in there because this female yeah. green mamba loves to hide. And yeah. nice. it's amazing when you put something in a cage and the snakes actually use it. But yeah. she's sitting in there right now watching. Like she was just out, looked like she was hunting. But that's awesome. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, and then this is the male's cage and he's under this piece of cork bark right here. Yeah. Yeah. And so, see, that's beautiful. way more enjoyable. It's, it's cool to look at. You can, yeah. you know, I, that's, I mean, Here's, I even set, this is where the forest cobra is. It's the lights are out now. So, but Beautiful. you know, and things like a carpet python, and then you know, just little things like this. You know, just a branch stuck to the back. I mean, this is not the greatest. And same thing with her. You know, I mean, just cork bark and a in a plant. But you know, yeah. they're still small. There's so a cobra sick. in here that I've never seen. And then <laughs> there's there's the little cotton mouth. But but you're right. I mean, it's. We, we, we do these things and why not make it aesthetically nice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least make it enjoyable to look at. Oh shit. It's kind of <laughs> neat having my phone on this little DJI Osmo thing. I can move around with it. So yeah, kind of interesting. <laughs> but no, it, what you're saying, it's, you know, I love the ball Python, not really, but the ball Python people, you, are, do. you pull out, you pull out the tubs and it's a pretty snake and you pull out the next tub. It's a pretty snake. But at the end of the day, yeah you might as well replace the snake with like a pretty rubber toy because it's, it's the same <laughs> environment. It's the same sterile environment that you're just pulling. Yeah. But you know what you just showed, it's, Dude, a, I, it's, a, it's an environment that the animal is actually using. You think I think for the most part, I, I think for the most part, all of us are kind of doing that. Yeah. 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 You, know? you, you think I'm pissing off the commercial. trailer park people. <laughs> You just pissed off. Oh yeah. Just we just replace it with a rubber snake, man. <laughs> He's right. I mean, it... I agree. Man. I agree. I used to that disclaimer out there. I know exactly it. what you're gonna say. <laughs> no, oh, but... I. I... Oh. Sorry. Go ahead, Paul. I'll shut the fuck up. <laughs> no, I listen. It's it, it's. I get it. You know. I mean, the the commercial breeder side is you know, get ball pythons, put them in boxes instead of, I mean, we put all of our ball pythons in 27 gallon totes, like I do with the, with the tough totes. And we put them all inside there and it took up a ton of room. And it's like, it was cool because you could put branches and stuff in there. The ball pythons loved it. You know, they crawl all Mm -hmm. over the place, but Mm -hmm. it's so much easier to keep them in a rack and take up one small corner and not have to deal with that. But Ron, to what Ron was saying, he's right. And you know what, this weekend I'm, I'm going to be cleaning out my garage because I have a crate at work that I'm bringing home that is eight and a half feet long 
and mm -hmm. five feet wide and four feet tall that we're going to put the tortoise in. So, you know, to give them something bigger indoors. So, you know, but, I, and I have to make room for it. So, but I'm going to go through all those cages now and I'm going to get branch clippings and put branches and stuff in there for them to crawl around on and maybe throw some rocks in there for them to rub on and just, mm -hmm. you know, just, just things that, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is. It, it gives them something, you know, everything in here has something in its cage, you know, with the exception of the pine snake, you know, but mm. hides under the, hides under the bedding 75% of the time anyway. Yeah. Shit don't never come out. Yeah. Paints the cage. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, I have gone often gone back and forth, um, over the last several years, like every now and again, before I got, I ex really expanded with the Euromastics, I would all, I, every now and again, I would dabble and just be like, all right, I'm getting a rack and I'd get a big rack and I'd put, you know, leopard geckos in it or, or, um, uh, some knobtails or, 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 uh, I had tricolor hogs for a little while you know, just random stuff that I'm like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to totally do, I'm going to do this again because the, there is an appeal to it. You know, there's something really fun and, yeah. and to some, yeah. to some extent, there's a real, mm -hmm. there's something enjoyable about the manageability of that. And like right. the, the, yeah. um, the cleanliness of it all. And like, when you see people post beautiful pictures of their crazy, nice basement full of drawers, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. and, and, and I mean, it's, that didn't sound very beautiful, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. you put some cool shit and it it's tempting, but like, there's nothing like that that compares to when you put, um, when you put some of that stuff in a, a decked out a real nice setup. I mean, the, the, the level of interaction you can have with your animal expands tenfold and like the, the number of behaviors you can observe expands tenfold because you can't observe any behaviors when they're in an opaque box. Right. But, um, you know, it's like, it, it's, but it does get tempting from time to time. I've, I, not lately, but for a long time, I, it, it's fun to do that. You know, you see yeah. damn good looking animals coming out of some of those, some of those spaces. Right? Yep. yep. Crazy good looking ones. Um, <laughs> this guy, I used to, uh, this guy John Scarborough, um, he's gecko yeah, the gecko guy. Yep. Yeah, he that dude, he's a killer. I mean, again, rack systems all the way around. He used to live out here in Colorado, and um, he was nice enough. We were friends. It, I mean, we're still friends. We still talk. It's he's he's a great guy. And uh, man, his was the it, and it was all it was the same thing. It was racks, right? Just rack systems up and down. But my God, that guy has some of the coolest leopard geckos I have ever seen. And it's like, just looking at his photos, I'm like, man, maybe I should buy a rack, you know? <laughs> like, well, it just gets me. Yeah, but leopard geckos lend themselves well to a rack. And sure. his yeah. rack system, if I recall, I used to follow him. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen his Facebook, I mean, uh, YouTube yeah. videos. But, you know, he he's sort of in that line between being commercial yeah. and, being, and being a hobbyist. So his setup, while it is... And it's probably similar to some of mine where it's fairly crude. Mm. You know, it's not like super intricate, but it provides everything that the animal needs. He, he had hiding spots, and, yep. you know, and, and uh, uh, moist areas and, mm -hmm. you know, everything. But it was still manageable for him to be able to manage that number without having to have a shit ton of employees and all that stuff. Totally. So if your goal is to be a breeder, in my opinion, and I've survived now 34 years doing this 
like legit 34 years. I'm not not like one of these guys that has two bearded dragons that's been doing this for 30 years. One of those guys, <laughs> which for some reason, there's a whole bunch of people out there on social media. That's, I've been doing it for 30 years. Never heard yeah. of you. Right. And I look and they got two bearded dragons and a, and a ball python, but they've been doing it for 30 years. <laughs> and some of them aren't even 30 years old, which is funny. But um, no, but for 34 years, I've been legitimately doing this um, as a, as a, my ma- my only source of, of survival. Um, so you can do it that way. You don't have, I mean, mm-hmm. would I have made a lot, a lot of money had I jumped into ball pythons early and set up a huge commercial thing? Probably, but mm. I just didn't give a shit about that. And it wasn't my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just depends if your goal yeah. is to be a breeder though you don't have to follow my whole point to all this yeah. is that you do not have to follow that path that's promoted so heavily that absolutely mm-hmm. is the worst path that most people could try to follow yeah it's very competitive there's it's very limiting like you said you're you're roped into you, you're basically your bottom line has to be how profitable this is or mm-hmm. you won't survive yeah and, and if that's not what you want out of it then you know yeah no and and another argument for the for the middle ground because you can say the same thing on the opposite end right so when your goal is to mimic the natural environment as perfectly Correct. as humanly possible i think that lends itself to a lot of neuroses yep. you know like i like the number of questions i i have to answer about like Oh, well, what if the power goes out and it drops below 80 degrees? And they're like, bro, just <laughs> like take a, just relax or, right. oh, but the, the enclosure, you know, and, and admittedly, this is the, this is not the norm, right? Normally, most people are a little carefree with what they're doing. Maybe they don't, they don't control things enough, I, maybe, but like, you know, you get the opposite end where someone, it's just like, I have to control. It has to be this specific way. And what if it's, where do you get your rocks? I'm like, bro, it's roof tiles and rocks that I stole right. out of the medium of the, the median of the King Supers parking lot. Like right. just, you know, like it's literally nothing. It's just rocks. Like just right. relax. Yep. Like if I, if you look at a pit, but, but again, if you look at a your picture of a Euromastics in the wild, it, it's a, it's on a pile of rocks. Like it's not that complicated. Right. But it's, yeah. but, um, <laughs> but it's, it's true of, even if you're working with something more like the, um, like the Cacrix, right? So the Defensor and the Alfred Schmidt Eye, you know, I've got them set up with cork tubes and 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 cypress mixed with with sand and and a little bit of topsoil, and it's like this, you know, and 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 grape grape wood branches and like a like a tote that, that that's like a humid hide stacked with cork. Thanks to Ron, because that's a really good idea, and the, um, you know all this other stuff and. I show a picture of it to my friend, Josh, who he, he was, bre- he's been breeding defensor for years. And he's like, that's way too complicated. And he, you know, but his breed like clockwork and, right. and his are in these bare bones, like a, like a flat tile under a heat lamp with a one little hide and this whole thing, but he, he kills it with him. Right. And it's, it, you know, so I could be getting a little neurotic about those things. And if I, you know, I'm sure as, as time goes on, I'm going to relax a little bit and it, it'll be more of, again, like that intersection between perfect habitat mimicry and, and, um, commercialization on, on, on both sides. Yeah. You, you have to find, you just have to provide what they need. That's the important thing. And and it's all about moderation. It's the don't, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing moderate about having a warehouse full of Euromastics. I can tell you that. (laughs) 
Nope. <laughs> nothing at all. There's nothing moderate at all. Moderation is gone. <laughs> out the window. So, but yeah. I, I, I like the pictures you post, though, of, of yeah. my shop. So keep yeah, that, that, that kiddie pool idea is fucking genius. I, I dig that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's worked for now. I mean, I, I, uh, as soon as it starts being bad. I mean, there's some, there's some downsides that I'm finding out now, like, um, you know, if I were to do this again, I'd probably get pools that don't have the pattern, like the, um, you know, the, literally the fish like rest on the inside, but that's because the animals can, uh, it'll stick and scrape it off. Yeah. And it'll, no, no, it, it, not climate. They, they, they pull it off. Like it actually, it's like oh, it a comes off film that's put over the plastic, oh, so like a pool. vinyl, like a vinyl sticker or something. Yeah, like yeah. Oh, almost, really? Almost, almost like a sticker. Almost. It's like it, okay. It's not the same, but it's it's like interwoven in the plastic somehow. I don't know, but it kind of comes off a little bit. So that's kind of a drag. I'd probably get a different pool or a different material. Maybe, um, you know, oil pans, like large commercial oil pans, and do the same thing with them, but they're hundreds of dollars. Or um, you know, another thing I never never anticipated was the noise. You know, like they make a lot of noise when they hit the sides, especially in the summertime, and, <laughs> yep. and everybody's hot and wild and getting running around. Man, they make some noise. Um, you know, I I didn't anticipate the fact that the uh, being you know being able to move them around or rearrange things becomes extra complicated because they're so flimsy you have to take everything out of the enclosure in order to move anything around, which is a downside. Um, you know, I could go off on the downsides, but it's like, I, that's true of any cage, right? I, any yep, cage right. has its pros and cons, but you know, it works for now. So how long have you had a single setup um, actually set up for one of those pool setups? Oh, the pools. It's um, it'd be two years, a little over two years. So, you know, it's, still not enough time for me to say that they're going to be perfect. I, I did move a lot of animals out of those. There were some animals that didn't like them. You could, you know, I set them up the same way I was setting up other stuff and they would start spazzing and flipping out and running around and that you could tell they were unhappy. So then I, I did a bunch of rearranging inside the enclosures and some animals are killing it in those and breeding inside of them and having absolutely no issues, but some stuff I moved back into the, um, melamine boxes um it's still probably 70 30 the pools to melamine um yeah and, and some stuff is just a matter of of like practicality like i could never put egyptians in a kitty in, in a even a big enough kitty pool because they would just knock the sides down they're way too huge man they're powerful yeah. powerhouses but um i i want to put i i want to try it with the defensor and the alfred schmidt eye because in a wide enough pool you could stack like the six foot diameter pools I could probably stack stuff up super high in the middle and I don't think they could jump out because they, they can jump, but not like, yeah. you know, not, they can't jump three feet across a thing. At least not that I've seen, maybe they could. Yeah, if they were I'm uh, I'm more of a visual guy. So when you were talking about your pools originally, I, in my head, I thought I had an idea what it looked like. And then Chris Behoff actually posted pictures. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, he was just and I'm like, ah, that's what they look like. It, it was amazing. <laughs> it's pretty funny stuff man yeah chris is a nice guy it was cool uh he brought his he's daughter the, over he's the i like chris he's the troll of the the reptile <laughs> yeah. net world yeah he, yeah, does he, a, he does a great job with that i'll admit <laughs> i'll admit um yeah no anyway the the pools are again pros and cons my, my friend travis was saying he's gonna try it with baby cayman 
you know, and, and, and see if like, if, if he can do it with like a big six foot and flip them over and then fill it up halfway uh, with water, see if it works for Cayman. But I was, I just told him, be careful. I don't know. <laughs> I've never kept any yeah. crocodilians or anything. So yeah. Yeah. That would be an interesting, uh, interesting catch. I it'd be wild, but I mean, who knows if he's actually going to do it. He, he claims he's going to do it. He's convinced it'll work, but I, I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right, guys. Uh, do we want to wrap up? Sure. Anybody can. else got anything else? I mean, you know, maybe Phil can find another group of people he can he can, he can offend before we. Yeah, Phil, <laughs> let's you do wanna... it. All right, yeah, let's. Who can I piss off? Like, let's see. Eddie already said people who keep ball pythons in drawers or might as well oh, that's true. them with rubber yeah, snakes. Yep. So um, yeah, like the... how, yeah, yeah. That's probably the majority of the people who are upset. Yeah, I could yeah. make. I could. And, make, and listen, I'm not gonna lie. Of... Half of those people live in trailers, right? <laughs> but not from. But not from the UK. Yeah, I just, I just, I just want it on the record that I don't know any of these motherfuckers. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just here as a. Ron just hijacked the Zoom call. Yeah, <laughs> I could, I could, I could piss off more people. I'll, I'll go after tortoise people. I'll go after beer oh, dragon people. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. no, all I, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No. All whoa. I, all I want to say is Roy is a good old red blooded American. I mean, well, now, now I know. I, and, and, and I'm sure can, if he, if that is true, I'm sure he'll forgive me for the, for the misstep. <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll be laughing through the whole podcast. He'll probably, I'll probably look at my Instagram misstep. now and he'll have mess or after this comes out and he'll message me, be like, what the hell are you thinking from the UK? Dude? Like, <laughs> Listen, well, well, he is that. mispronouncing his name. You said well, he's he from a whole that. other country. Well, he again. I knew. I know that he listens. I know that he listens to the podcast because, again, when I did the Bill Bradley one, I completely butchered his name. Yeah, yeah. And he po- he posted on Instagram, like on his stories, like great episode. Even though Eddie like screwed up my name, <laughs> and he was like, and he's like, thanks for the shout out. So who who knows who knows what he'll write yeah. now? For, you know. Well, for you. yeah, no. Well, well look, okay. Let me just 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 in my defense. Let me- let me just say, first of all, his cages are super European in the sense that yeah, they're they decked are. out <laughs> and they're very well constructed and they look yeah. like they're so bright. They look like metal halide fixtures, especially in the photos he takes. So it kind of resembles that. Yeah. The second thing is he posted a picture of his room and it looked like it was in a tiny little basement. And in yeah, my mind, like in, in Europe, they they don't really have that many basements, but when they do, they tend to be real small right? In certain parts of Europe. And then the third part is when he would message me when we were talking, they would be few and far between. And so my assumption was that we were in drastically different time zones. And therefore, he was taking longer to get back to me. When in reality, it's just because he's not like a slave to social media like I am. And, um, and then the third and then the final nail in the coffin was Roy Arthur Blodgett. I was like, that sounds like it an, does an Englishman, you know, I mean, it, does, it sounds yeah. like an Englishman. It's like, it's, <laughs> you know, it was. And so I was like, it just, in my head, I just defaulted, like slotted him into European. He's over the pond, across the pond. Um, so that, I feel like that explanation justifies it just a little bit, uh, just, just ever so slightly. Um, so, so Phil it's like, it's like watching on, somebody uh, fall down the stairs in slow motion. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 you can't look away, you know, and uh, it's, it's true. I judge people based on their Instagram profiles. Um, right? Dude, oh, we're, totally fucka, we're totally fucking with you, man. No, I know it's fun. I love it. I, but, but no, I, I've been known to like get on podcasts. So 
I've been on two podcasts for the jujitsu community. And on one of them, all I did was talk shit, man. And I didn't, the thing that I didn't recognize is that the guy was going to chop up the, the episode. So yeah. like it made it look like all I was doing was just, just lobbing bombs at people when it was like, it was all compliment sandwiches. So it was like, I really like so-and-so, but when they do this, it drives me nuts, but they're way better than me, and would kick, it, but they're way better than me and would kick my ass. Right. So it was like, I would, it, it was, it was in, enveloped in a veil of respect and civility. But then in the thing he chopped up for the podcast advertisement, it was just like, somebody did that to me. I'd Wagner Hosha kick him off the stage. What an asshole. And it made me look like such a jerk. So I, I, I've, I've been known to talk shit cause I I'll do it, but it, uh, I won't, I won't do it to a specific person. And I, except in jujitsu, cause apparently I did, that's what I did. That was bad. Uh, but in, I won't do it to a specific person, but man, there's so much shit that pisses me off about uh, <laughs> that I could go on about, not just people in trailer parks and people who live in tiny basements in the UK. <laughs> let it out. Let it out. Oh man. Well, like, okay. Um, and this one doesn't mean anything. I, one thing that drives me crazy is when people send their animals and they send like a, um, like a, like a thing, like a certificate with the animal like with like a little stationary and a stamp at the bottom. And it says, Oh, like this can't, you know, it's like a breeder certificate, right? Like you might get for like a dog. Like a birth or, certificate. Yeah. But it's like decked out and it's got this yeah. long heartfelt. Thank you about, thank you for being our loyal customer. And I'm like, what the fuck dude, am I at Walmart now? Like I'm not trying <laughs> it's just, it just feels, you know, I guess what it is is disingenuous. When someone's bullshitting yeah. me, I just yeah. like, it's like a little alarm goes off in the back of my head. I'm right. like, fuck you. You're full of shit. <laughs> you don't actually mean this. I can't trust you because you're not yeah. being authentic with me. I just, no, no, no. <laughs> I, think, I think Rob's going to die. Holy I'm shit. Like, I, I like this side of Phil. <laughs> yeah, he's fucking, he is me. If I'm in a, if I, 20 <laughs> years. <laughs> oh, I do. I fucking hate salesmen. And the uh, minute they slide up on me with that fucking disingenuous uh, bullshit, yeah. I'm like, I will shove that back up your ass. Uh, get the fuck out of my face. Fuck I off, hate that. It, it absolutely me. hate that. It's the worst. It's so yeah. fucked. And it's just like, you don't have to do this. You know, right. like I would go to this coffee shop, you know, for, for a little while I was going to one, it was re right near here. And the, every time you'd go in the guy, you know, whoever was standing at the counter would be like, Hey man, how you doing? What can I get for you today? Right. Fuck you, dude. <laughs> like, get, out Fuck you. get out of here, bro. Yep. You are so full of shit. You hate yep. your life. God. I know you hate your life and you're probably spitting in my coffee. Right. Oh man. Yeah. Or, or like you want to, okay. We want to know another one. This is another one that drives me absolutely. This, oh, this is fantastic. And this is specifically. We just, we just pissed off all the salesmen out there. Yeah. 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 Sorry guys. Here, just here's about, here's about to be about 65% of the reptile community right here. Going to be mad. Those fucking turds who all they do <laughs> is talk about how they, like Everything that they say is phrased to make them seem like they're just, I, I am Ace Ventura, Dr. Doolittle, <laughs> Dr. Doolittle shit just wrapped up in one package and like, you know, like just, I am the gift to the world for animals, you know, like just because you bred dogs once and you, your <laughs> daughter, your daughter has hamsters and you also breed <laughs> 
Bearded Dragons, and oh, you had a parrot for six years. You're not a fucking animal expert, dude. Yeah. Like it's just, and 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 they, you know, it's oh, I did this, or, or you know, or the flakes, the the people who all they do is post pictures of what they've worked with, but there's nothing to show for it. So it's like every six months they change out the animal over and over and over again. And it's like, right. I get that too. I've, we all have projects that come and go and fail, but like the people who make that like a perpetual career and it's like, and you know, and they'll say things like, well, you can't really make money in reptiles. It's like, well, yeah, when you buy and flip them every six months, of course you can. And they're never, they're never transparent either. It's never, well, I don't have this anymore, or I sold my whatever. It's added another whatever to my collection today. And it's like, if you're just looking at their pictures, you're going to think they have 7,000 of that one animal. It's just not, man, it's so, just. So here's, here's a question. Define what an elitist is. Oh, man. Well, probably me. Like, I'm probably in a, you know, like I, I have, I'm sure I have qualities that are elitist qualities from time to time, right? I can be an asshole, but I don't know. Like, I, it's people who are, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've got it good and they, they, they assume like it's available to a select group of people and they, they have a hard time seeing outside of their, their own. Am I describing myself right now? Shit. (laughs) (laughs) So. So it, my, my thought process behind somebody that's an elitist is somebody that is, is to, this is, this is me, this is me saying, and I'm not, I am on the opposite end of that. But to me, that's a person that has accomplished so much, but has been, what's the word, not conceited about it. They don't need to talk about it. They just go about their everyday life. And there's no, there's no conversation of look at, Ooh, look at me. Mm -hmm. I also look at that elitist side as if you're an elitist, you'd never have to say that Mm -hmm. those words should never come out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. Why? Because somebody that is elite um, is the person that everybody turns to. I go to our very close friend in, in uh, Palm Coast, uh, who is one of Andrew's lacrosse coaches uh, and mentors as a head, neck, and facial trauma surgeon and arguably one of the best people I've ever met who goes to other countries and performs facial surgeries for free. He's been awarded man of the year in Palm Coast a couple of times. Sounds, He's a so, doctor. Sounds he like does, an asshole. <laughs> Yeah, he does things for people that he doesn't need to, he doesn't need to be asked, he just does it. Mm -hmm. So I look at that as as somebody that's an elitist, that's at the top of their game. So, but I've heard that from other people where they say, I'm an elitist, I do this, I do that, I'm I'm up here. And it's like, no, you're not. So, (laughs) you know, but, but... as far as like the, the 65% of reptile people, I think that number is probably higher. Oh no. I was thinking I was, I was thinking I was way off, man. Uh, I, I think it's probably some of, I used to, when I was, when I was, one of my first jobs was I worked at a vet office and like, um, it was, it was all, it was like, it was me, one other dude, and then all women, which is fine. But they were all, they all had been in the vet industry. And if they weren't a vet, 
they were like a vet tech, right? And I was mm-hmm. just a lackey. I was just there to pick up shit and take dead, an- you know, when animals would get put and down, I'd, I'd have to, yeah, it was nothing, right? I'd have to, t- you know, I'd have to, I was clean and everything. But man, it, all the people who worked there, even the tech assistants, they knew everything about how to treat a dog for everything. It's like, oh, what, you know, and, and, and it wasn't just that they knew, but then that they used that knowledge to pass judgment on everyone who wasn't doing it exactly the way they're doing it and who didn't take their advice and didn't listen. And I'm like, bro, you're 26 and you're, you've worked at this vet for three years. You don't know every dog like you just, and you're not the vet. You're just not the vet, you know? And, but it, and it's understandable. Like people are passionate, right? People are so passionate about animals in general and, and they, they, they just want to, they want to share that. Like it means a lot to them and they want to put it out into the world. So I totally, I totally understand that, but there's like, we've talked about this before on this, on this little get together, which is the lack of self-awareness that, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's, if you can't recognize when you're, or at least be humble in the face of better information or be humble in the face of like, you know, of whatever it might be, you know, and it, yeah. it's not, it's not always easy to do those things, but yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of shit in reptile. <laughs> Listen, I always, I mean, I think over the last probably couple months since, mm-hmm. since realistically, since we all started talking, I've, I've kind of backed off of, of some of my, not, not my stance on things, but how much I, I throw it out on here, you know? And, and again, I mean, there's, there's people out there that, that do things that work for them and, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, do your thing. But, but at the end of the day, the stuff that, that we see, I mean, Eddie, Eddie does every Repticon show known to man. I'm sure that he's heard it, seen it and scratched his head as people walked away thinking, how did that person survive past the age of two? Right. How are you not selected out? It doesn't face me anymore. (laughs) (laughs) He's numb to it. The things I hear, I don't even, I I just agree. I nod my head and then I whip them in the leaf. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I, I, apparently, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just saying, apparently I'm going the other way. Like we've been doing more of these and in each one, I talk a little more shit. I don't know. It's, no, but, but it, it's, it's good though. I mean, it, it makes us all laugh. Well, I mean, yeah, at the end of the I, day, I, I like reality, the happy guy. I, I like the happy guy ranting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's cause at the end of the day, like I love everybody, right? Like there's even the people who piss me off a lot. I have profound respect for them for one reason or another, for whatever it may be, regardless of whether or not I disagree with them. There's a, there's a, a, so I'm in, I'm an admin in the Euromastics club on Facebook and it's, I'm one of, I think it's six of us, seven of us. And my God, I argue with the other admins constantly because I'm like, dude, and I'm hard on a couple of them. I'm, I'm straight up really hard on them. I'm like, dude, you, and it's usually this one person and I'm really hard on her and but she's, she's a killer. Like she, I, I will just hammer her for so much about like how I think she's thinking about things or like the fact that I don't feel like she's got enough data to back up her claim or whatever it is, but damned if she doesn't engage with me, take every shot and come back with either a rebuttal or an acceptance that she was either wrong or I was wrong or whatever it is. And she's, I have so much respect for her for that. 
because that's a really hard conversation to have. Most people would get hurt and they're, they're, they would feel so personally assaulted by that, that they would just say, ah, that guy, Phil, he's a fucking dick, which I can be like, I really, I can be an asshole. Like, it's just part of who I am. It's not meant to harm people. It's just, that's just how my energy comes out, you know? And she just cruises right past it. She's so, which gives me a lot of respect for her, regardless of the things I think about the advice she gives sometimes. That's not, it's, and that's more important to me, you know? But I don't think a lot of people are like that. I think a lot of people just get mad and for, say, fuck it, Phil's a, Phil's a jerk here, you know, and, and, and which is fine too. Like, I get it. I would do it too. Sure. Maybe I would do the same thing. So I say this all the time. Tyler Nolan, can't stand him. Don't want to be anywhere near him. He's a fantastic tattoo artist. Oh, I don't even know who that guy is. Horrible reptile keeper. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, I mean... He was, I, I think he's a, he's a great artist. He just shouldn't, in my, again, in my opinion, be in this. Why do those lights get so bright? <laughs> They're just shouldn't down. be keeping reptiles. So opinion, you know, I'm sure he doesn't, you know, whatever. It is what it is. <laughs> so. Well, and it's <laughs> look around like, God damn, what hole did we dive down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well. <laughs> And again, I think it's like, at the end of the day, um, transparency is probably a good thing, you know, because I, something that I respect about, uh, about you guys is that in all of our conversations, you know, none of you have come off as like political and what I'm, and I don't mean political as in politics. I mean, political as in like trying to save face or be super polite just for the sake of like that bizarre common courtesy that we give to each other, you, you know, I, yeah. and some of this comes from, from the jujitsu Academy, right? Those people will say, we call our gym a safe space because you can literally say anything and do, you could say anything you want and no one gives a shit. People say the most rough and horrendous and offensive things at the gym and it just slides off everybody's back, you know? And, and I feel like one of the reasons that's valuable is because it lends itself to teaching you about how authenticity tells you more. It, it like tells you more about somebody's character. And, and I don't like when someone tries to just, well, I'm not going to say that, you know, cause we're just, we're just going to be, we're going to do the right thing and take the, the, the fucking high ground, like the moral high ground. I'm like, no, that's not the moral high ground. That means I'm just hiding all my shit behind this veil Correct. Yeah. that I'm putting up in front of you. Just be real with me, dude, because it doesn't, you know what I mean? You don't have to, because even if you, uh, you're a person who I think is abhorrent for some reason, well, then at least I know to not fucking talk to you, you know, and, right. and you can go on about your life and do your thing. And I wish, you no know, ill will, but like, it makes me really uncomfortable when someone I've said it, I've said yeah. it a million times. I'm, I'm very loud, very opinionated. I'm very obnoxious, but if your friends, if you, if you're truly my friend, you can turn around and say, yo, you're being a little bit loud right now. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, cool. No problem. And I quiet down. Yeah. Whereas some people would take offense to that and then not want to talk to you again. That shit doesn't bother me. You know, if I had a, I, I had a dollar for every time I heard that exact thing. You're being pretty loud yeah. right now, dude. Can you tone it, bring yeah. the volume down just a little bit? It's like, you yeah. bet I can. My buddy Daryl tells me all the time, dude, you're sitting right next to me. Calm down. It's like, oh, my bad. <laughs> Sorry. Was getting a little bit excited. Yeah. No right. worries. Right. You know, why would I get mad at it? You know, like, yeah. just be honest and and you know 
say what's on your mind and we can either be friends and say, hey, you know, we disagree with each other on that topic, but that's not everything in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, I disagree with Phil. I think trailer people are great. It's just, a, it's nonsense, dude. You've been, you've been, you've been brainwashed by the media to think that people who live in trailer parks are okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's nonsense. And from, uh, and, and from the UK. And from yeah, the UK, yeah. you know, I, I never said anything negative about all me. those you fucking did, British trailer parks that are, I know. Or, <laughs> they're, they're all, they got their pitchforks out right now. <laughs> they're they're making, the, making the pilgrimage to fucking That's, Colorado. Uh, you, they might you know, be. <laughs> you know what? Roy, Roy's doing a, he's doing a podcast with Bill next month. And I hope just for shits and giggles, I hope he just does it in a complete British accent. Oh my just, God. Oh, just, and he's, just, and he's got a botch Phil's name. Yeah. yeah. Who is, who is this guy? <laughs> who, he's going to sit, he's going to sit tea. <laughs> with his fucking pinky out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think this fucking guy's in Mexico or something. I don't know where he's is from. It, yeah, he's gonna, have, <laughs> he's, gonna have, he's gonna have like a little monocle and talk all proper and shit. <laughs> oh man, I would, I would. You guys are just digging the hole. That would be oh, yeah. so funny, man. Hey, I, I was literally gonna get off uh, of this and call this guy. And be like, yo, no, 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 no I'm gonna I, let it. I'm gonna. I already texted text text on wanna, Facebook. I wanna. I want to wait to. I want to wait for the response. And I want to wait for the natural response. Like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah, I'm not going to say a word. I won't say a word. I'm just going to let it go. Good. So for the consequences, no. he's gonna. You know what he's gonna do is he's gonna he's gonna message me. He'd be like, hey, dude, I don't want you to do my logo anymore, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. That's awesome. No, or or make it the most American logo ever. Like oh, so American. Oh my god. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, you, well, it's it's funny because you know he he messaged me and asked me if I'd be interested, if, if I would be up for making his logo. And I was like, man, you know, I have been moving further and further away from the artwork for a little while um, for other reasons, but like he was an, ex- he was an example of like, no, no, no. I definitely want to do your logo. Cause when you feel passionately about what someone is doing, I mean, it's just, it's, it's so much easier to put the energy into making the work. And, and it was like, I had looked at his stuff and I was thinking like, man, why doesn't this guy use a watermark or something just to, because his stuff is so sick, you know, you don't want to yeah. have people steal his photos or anything like that. And, and so when he asked me, I was like, hell yeah, this is exactly what I wanted to do. And um, we're actually like halfway through it uh, should be done here pretty shortly. And, uh, but it's, it's been, it was hard. I, I thought for a little while, I thought the artwork was going to be something that was going to be something that I do more regularly within the reptile community because it's like, I love drawing and I love drawing and I love lizards. So like combining the two felt like really natural, but dude, I, it just like for some reason, for some reason, other than lizards, the second I get paid to do something, I'm just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's, it's, it's a, no, it's not good. It's a bad thing, man. (laughs) You know, I I know it. I know your trouble. It, it turns into a job, kind of. And what you're doing, yeah, and yeah. what you're doing, and what you're doing naturally, even though it does pay bills, it doesn't feel like a job. No, right. yeah. no, and and it's, plus, it's and that's I mean, that's plus, the goal though. That is the fucking goal. Right. To be able to make plus, money Phil, and not feel like you're actually working. Which is yeah. which? Go ahead, Paul. Hey, Phil, and let's face it: having your portfolio with somebody from 
you know, over the pond logo in there. It was great. God damn it, man. This is going to go on forever. I know it. That's, that's, that's probably true. Just wait until it, I do it again. I know I'm going to do it again. Right? It's going to happen. Right? There's going to be some other guy who I think is in the States and somebody's like, no, no, bro, that dude's in Italy, you know? And he didn't I know. just, I, I think you are, you were on the right idea though, about Roy should do the podcast, but in the British accent, but oh, I think man. we should take it one step further. I think the next time we do this, all of us have to do it in a British accent. Oh, oh dude. Okay. I'll, I'll fucking I win do that. I'll win that game, dude. I, I will. I, <laughs> yeah, there's a, I could do an Indian accent. Oh, that, that would be a good one, too. I, I think I should do the entire podcast in Hank Hill's voice. Yeah, there you go. Yes, that you should. You should. <laughs> that would be good. It'd be oh. a punishment. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that, 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 that actually would be like a legitimate, legitimate punishment. But, uh, <laughs> are, are, are we still recording or, or what? Yes, we definitely yeah, are. So so. We're going to, we're going to stop the recording. Um, and nice. I want Ron a question about some stuff that's been going on behind the scenes. So everybody, thanks for joining us. Uh, have a great night and uh, I'm going to stop the recording now if I can find it on my phone. Uh, where was it before there and stop.